This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking Ghostbusters called Afterlife. We're going to call the Ghostbusters, clearly, right? Buster makes me feel good. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello, hi, how are you? Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into a movie that is most respectful for reviews, the occasional commentary track, or some other film movie topic. This episode 300, bleh, 478. You're going to give us 300 episodes fewer? Oh my gosh, how dare you, how dare you. We worked too hard to get to 478. <laughs> well, yes, 478, that is what we're... We're at today, and this week we're talking Ghostbusters, colon, Afterlife, the latest Ghostbusters film, fourth overall, and a direct sequel to the first two Ghostbusters. Just make sure I got my ducks in a row on that one. And uh, joining us to discuss Ghostbusters Afterlife, we have from Cal State Fullerton. He was borderline for a while, and then he crossed the border. It's Professor Mike Dillon. Sounds vaguely racial. <laughs> yes, hello. <laughs> yeah, I guess you just... We're, we're back in the 90s with talk about commercials. Let it be known. Let it be known. This is the fourth Ghostbusters film I've been on to discuss with you guys. You're not wrong. Yeah. Wow. So, so if anybody's wondering, Ghostbusters, is it still just the one good one? Well, we're, we're going to find out. <laughs> and you, you know what else, Mike? Yeah. You've been afraid of no ghosts. Uh, I'm a little afraid of ghosts. <laughs> really ruined my joke. Thanks. I like more than one Ghostbusters movie. Also joining us from Superhero Hype. He once had part of a slinky, and he had it straightened. It's Luke Thompson. Wow, I didn't know you knew that, but uh, <laughs> I guess I wasn't going to keep in secrets. <laughs> how, Luke, Mike, how are you both doing this evening? Doing, I, I just, I just went to Disneyland on Friday, and to, to badly botch a joke, boy, are my legs sore. <laughs> um, but I bought an Eternals jacket that will probably never be on sale again. So, oh, nice, happy. exclusive. Yep. <laughs> What does it have on it? Uh, it's reversible. It has. It, does it have Fastos well, on one side and Sprite on the other? No, one version <laughs> is one version is like a denim jacket with the Eternals movie logo. Then you reverse it, and it's like the Icarus jacket with gold circles all over it. Mm, cool. All right, that's fun. Which is the only way to wear it, really. I don't know why anyone would do it the other way, but it's uh, it's pretty neato. And they only had like three of them left in the entire park. And I figured I will never see this again because Eternals is not getting a sequel or any more merchandise. Well, you're going to have to now post two photos on um, Instagram and have people vote. Oh, yeah. Um, if I ever decide to wear it the boring way, I'll, I'll the do that. But I've, I've posted several of the of the cool way, but the <laughs> boring way, I'm not sure I can bring myself to wear it. We'll see. Okay. Mike, do you have anything cool to add to that? <laughs> <laughs> no. no. I yeah, don't. what kind of cool jackets do you have, Mike? Come on. I'm just in, I'm just in my sweats. Uh, comfortable. Comfortable, but not cool. I didn't go to Disneyland. Not everyone can be Luke Thompson. I'm not, sure, I'm, I'm not sure Eternals is cool, particularly, but uh, I like it. So Yeah. You don't become an acting generation of Kingos because you're not cool. I don't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not an acting generation of Kingos. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Yet. All right. Well, let's, let's do some show notes here real quick. Uh, first up, new commentary track. We recorded and just released our latest commentary track for the month. It is for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone or the Philosopher's Stone, depending on your region. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Scott, 
Brandon Yancey and I all talked about the two and a half hour Chris Columbus film. And uh, yeah, we had a lot to delve into on that one. So be sure to check it out. Uh, now you can find it on iTunes where you can also find all the other episodes of our show and a spot where you could give us a rating and review, which would be great. Cause if you did so, you would pop us up in the old iTunes charts. It'll be wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much in advance. Give me some hugs. <laughs> um and yeah i think that's it for show notes really and everything else we're, we're pretty much caught up on things in that regard uh i'll i can say right now thanksgiving's coming and there's a few movies coming out in the near future so even i will probably have a like a main episode maybe some bonus stuff uh coming at you as well so just be prepared for uh plenty of fun content yeah and with that in mind let's do some out now quickies trademark each week now we talk about the week that i want to go quickies tm that's good it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Abe, you missed out on this last week. What did you see recently? I watched a ton of stuff, uh, including what you guys talked about last week, which was, uh, I believe, Clifford the Big Red Dog. And I also think it was uh, Adam's Family 2, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Why would we not do that? Exactly. Yeah. Clifford the Big Red Dog, you know, Paramount Plus, not a sponsor. Uh, but I, I did watch um, Spencer. And Spencer is, I, I thought it was well done. Did I think I, I, I listened back to your episode and uh, did I think it was as strong as maybe Jackie? No, not necessarily, but I did think that there was a strong performance by Kristen Stewart. And also the, there were um, the way that it was very claustrophobic and the way that it provided um, a lot of uh, atmosphere at times uh, was really well done. Like some of the Anne Boleyn stuff, a little bit hacky, but you know, whatever, it's a movie. And also this director has kind of been known to, to do some stuff like that. But I thought that it was a well-done movie overall. Uh, I did get strangely emotional during the candlelit scene where she's asking her boys to play a, a very serious um, and truthful game with her, which was nice. Uh, and I think that basically the, the end result of my watching this movie was that Harry is right and we should protect Harry and Meghan forever. And, uh, and then I also watched uh, our other movie that we talked about last week, which was Belfast. And I surprisingly was also in the same camp. I was like, you know what? This is good. I don't know if it's great. This it's very fragmented because it's told by the the point of view of Buddy. But Aaron, I think you brought this up. It was just there's a lot of lack of character development, so it's not as though I can really feel anything for some of these people um, as the movie progresses. Uh, I know that there's been a lot of talk about this being in the uh, award ceremonies, and you guys probably rightfully had said that if it did win the biggest prize. Uh, Am I supposed to feel good or bad about that? But, you know, we'll see when we get there. But I thought that it was okay. Um, not not what I was expecting when I watched the trailer where I was very moved and pumped up by the trailer, uh, the first one. I was and, curious what you'd think because, yes, you were relatively excited for the movie. Yeah. I mean, we talked about our four black and white trailers. So I was like, well, it's got to be the one that won for Toronto Film Festival Awards for uh, audience, right? And I was like, you know what? It's, it's okay. I think that there's other movies about um, growing up that, might resonate more or are uh, a little bit more cohesive but you know good on them for having their tour and good on for good on kenneth for for doing what he's got to do you guys had a, a nice kenneth segment as well and then i, I watched a uh, uh, christmas classic jingle all the way uh because you know just in time getting yeah getting into for the thanksgiving mood. yeah getting into the I, i've already seen charlie brown thanksgiving and then i also watched uh, other christmas classic because it's also on disney plus uh, I'll be home for Christmas with Jonathan Taylor Thomas. I've never seen this movie before in my life. That's definitely a movie that exists. It is not very good, but there's a lot of uh, weird things that happen in it. It's so, like how they glue a Santa suit to him. <laughs> and and how they like knock him out 
put him in a Santa suit and then just drop him off in the desert. And mm-hmm. the first call he makes is to like his girlfriend, not to the police that say like, Hey, three guys like jumped me and now I have no money and I don't know how to get home. Uh, but with all that being said, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Hey man, it was, he had a run in the nineties there, uh, which is fantastic. Good or not. <laughs> Good or he, not yeah. he definitely not. had one. <laughs> he was the voice of Simba. He, he but... definitely starred in films. <laughs> And then, you know, of course, I just watched Predator. Man of the and House. Man. More like Man of the Year. <laughs> he's trying. I'm glad he's getting his home improvement paychecks. You know, he's out of all the three sons from that show, he's probably the one that is like the one that decided to to take his um, uh, privacy the most uh, private, I suppose. So good on him. Did you have anything else? Uh, probably, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll mention them later just randomly. All right. Well, Luke, let's jump to you. What have you seen recently? Well, I think I saw the uh, sequel to Clifford the Big Red Dog called <laughs> The Power of the Dog. Oh. Uh, and I understand Benedict Cumberbatch became a big red dog to really do it method. Uh, wow. He's, oh, he's so good. He's so good, isn't he? He's going full Christian Bale. Yeah, Clifford is a real asshole in this one. It's not <laughs> what I expected from the books I saw as when I was a kid. But uh, <laughs> I liked how the Ghostbusters new movie is like a stealth sequel having two characters turn into dogs. But, I mean, we can get to that later. <laughs> But uh, anyway, um, Benedict Cumberbatch, he's the key master to unlock the Oscar. Dean <laughs> Shallot, um, in a reference that is compounding everything here. Now, a really, really great film. I don't know if it's out yet. I don't know if you want to fully discuss it, but I love, I love so much about this movie. I love the way the character is so often framed from a distance, the way that you have a main character who you really don't have an in with and you're watching on the outside the whole time. And I was like, well, this reminds me of There Will Be Blood. Then, of course, I realize it's the same. It's Johnny Greenwood also doing the score. So that's mm-hmm. what remind me of that. A lot of good stuff in that. Anyway, I also uh, watched the 4K of Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, Ooh. the 20th anniversary version, huh. which I really liked at the time and thought got a bad deal. And now of course time has not been super kind to it because every playstation 5 game looks like it now (laughs) um and it's all shot in low light so you really have to kind of watch it in the dark (laughs) like if if you make the mistake of watching this movie in the day and any light leaks into your room you're not going to see a whole lot of it because you know they don't they hadn't worked out atmosphere effects and they kept things low light. So you can't see that there's not a ton of detail by mm-hmm. today's standards. Uh, it's kind of like was... old Pixar movies where there's not a lot happening in the background, but you're so floored by the things going on in the foreground. It's like, ah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Toys. Yeah, and and the, the, the thing that still impresses the phantoms that are transparent and then their in, insides and their intestines and their skeletons are also transparent. They're still cool. They were, I mean, they were never, the most realistic part of it they were always the coolest looking part they still are the funniest thing to me is that when you hear james woods's voice coming out of this young guy with black slick back hair Mm -hmm. who just wants to sort of be smarmy at everybody and kill everything as a solution he looks like he comes across like ben shapiro who wasn't a thing back (laughs) then and it feels like i'm watching him and then to notice that his opponent is alec baldwin it's like you'd never get these two working on a movie together ever again who looks like ben affleck like yeah. his, i recall that very well like, <laughs> oh, he looks... and then you talk about a meme that happened is you have this young kid and steve buscemi's voice is coming out of him so yeah they made steve know. buscemi look very handsome that's what i recall <laughs> yeah it's, i mean you expect him to say how do you do fellow kids he's definitely <laughs> <laughs> when you do it. 
that's where they had that skateboard in the movie yeah i haven't watched spirits within it and quite oh, a long wow, time man. but i but I, I i similarly was also a fan when it originally came out despite yes the giant bomb that it was at the box office and the lack of critical appeal besides sister ebert and roper at the time who we were, were like big fans of the film if i'm not mistaken it's sort of amazing that sony ever thought it would be a big deal like it's it uses the brand name of a video game that it has basically nothing to do with it has a completely pagan earth mother spirituality and it doesn't really have any huge stars or a particularly you know conventional story and it's very much cerebral sci-fi as opposed to action sci-fi you can tell they sort of shoehorned action in it just so there would be action in there they spent a lot of money on it too that's the thing (laughs) but it's like i don't know i don't know how they ever expected it would be a hit but it's possible it's one of those things like how the Phantom Menace, you know, moved ILM forward so much. It was mm-hmm. an investment in ILM's future as much as anything. It may have been Square investing in their future as much as anything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what strikes me watching it again is A, I didn't love it like I used to. And B, how did how did they think this was going to be big? <laughs> but mm. uh, interest, just an interesting revisit. And then uh, I've just, it's not a movie, but I've just recently been watching the uh, second half of Masters of the Universe Revelation, which is coming out on Netflix. And uh, uh, the people, let's just say the people who hated it for superficial reasons are going to keep hating it for those same things. (laughs) So you're saying it's, you're saying it's still good. Yeah, it's not, the second half is not as good, but it is still the Tila show. If you really love the part in the old He-Man cartoons where characters would explicitly spell out what the moral was at the end, you're going to love this second part. Because <laughs> they do that. How else would I know what the moral is if they don't tell me, Luke? You, you turn over to G.I. Joe. Yeah, I was like, I need G.I. Joe for them to, I need a G.I. Joe-ish of this. Yeah, G.I. Joe, well, G.I. Joe did it the best. Yeah. There's no doubt. We I learned that. how not to use a stove when my parents are not around. So, you know, there's I mean, that. How, how many people quote knowing is half the battle as opposed to until next time? <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that doesn't really stay, stay with you as much now. All right. Well, Mike, how about you? What have you been watching recently? I've, I've been having a really good Netflix run. Um, oh, a lot of good tick, stuff. Yeah. Tick, tick, boom is great. Um, Power of the dog is great. I'm with Luke. Um, Seven prisoners is solid. Maybe not great. Uh, there, has anyone seen the trip? Uh, with, no, with uh, Numi Rapace. Numi Rapace. No, I have not Mm-mm. seen that. Is that how you pronounce it? Numi Rapace. Yes, that's right. Might be Numi Rapace, but yeah, close enough. I think it's Rapace. Um, it's it's very very funny. Hold on, guys. I'm sorry. Numi Rapace's lawyers are on the phone right now. Oh no, not again. <laughs> but it's hard to endorse because it has at least one scene that's just really shockingly homophobic. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what else? Passing is gorgeous but pretentious uh otherwise i saw come on come on which i really liked um i saw the tender bar which is clooney's new film uh it's it's wildly uneven but ben affleck is fantastic agree yeah um i mean it's it's basically it's basically hillbilly elegy but set in long island and maybe a little better yeah, because oh, okay. you, you don't like hate the characters or feel like you have to throw up in your mouth after a while. Like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Nobody's I mean, based so... on is going to run for office and be horrible. Yeah, that, that all those right. elements. So, actually, there's two films I actually do want to uh, not rapid fire at you, but actually uh, mention. So, has anyone seen Zeros and Ones? 
That's the Ethan Hawke film, correct? Yeah. I have, I have not. not seen that. It's ooh, it's really incomprehensible. I mean, it's a COVID movie. Um, so I guess it's kind of interesting in its own experimental way. But uh, if no one has seen this, I don't want to get into it and spoil it. But it has one of the weirdest things I've seen in a while, which is the film is bookended by something that I've never quite seen before in a film. Okay. Uh, something that, that takes it into a very sort of meta direction. Um, well, it's an Abel it's, Ferrara movie too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very strange. Um, I, I won't go into it. I'll let you discover it yourself. All right. Um, but I, I don't know if I recommend it because it's so incoherent. But uh, the other one that I rather disliked is uh, Raging Fire with Donnie Yen. Really? Mm. I've heard a lot of good things about that movie. Well, the thing is, it's... Um, I mean, I was debating whether to see it to begin with because I personally don't like supporting Donnie Yen, but... What the, did Donnie Yen do to you? Oh, no, Donnie Yen has a reputation for abusing his stunt performers. Mm -hmm. um, and in Hong Kong, they don't have the same union protections as they do here. And so I think it's kind of an open secret with them. So as Aaron knows, I, I have some friends in the stunt community and I find it just really unconscionable. But not for nothing, the action scenes are terrific. They're really great, but they're so few and far between. The bulk of the film is this very bro-y melodrama that's, that is really cheesy and doesn't, it takes up too much uh, runtime. It's also the movie overall is very pro-police, which is kind of an uncomfortable bit of messaging coming out of a Hong Kong movie at this time. So I, I'd give it a thumbs down. I would just watch the action, action scenes when someone inevitably clips them on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's what I've seen. All right, cool. I've seen a few things that I'll make note of. Uh, first is, I saw this a few weeks ago, but now it's finally out, so I can just talk about it a little bit more. But King Richard, uh, mm -hmm. the Will Smith film uh, featuring him as Richard Williams, the father of Venus and Serena Williams. Um, as far as kind of family-friendly sports biopic dramas go, I think this is pretty good. Um, Smith is certainly very good. Anjanou Ellis, who plays his wife in the film, is also very good. Mm -hmm. um, the film itself is not like doing much that like strays from what you tend to get from this kind of story. But I, the thing I was most interested in was how it would justify being a film about Richard Williams and not, you know, specifically the daughters. And I do think it answers that question as far as giving you a portrait of who this man is, giving you some of his flaws while it's still. I mean, it's a PG-13 Will Smith movie, so it's not going to like dig too deep into the issues that he really does have and like other things about this story. But I do think there's enough there that challenges Smith as an actor, as well as the other performers that are in the film. John Bernthal has a role in this as one of the coaches, and he's very much against type and pretty great in the movie overall. And I do think the second half of the film shifts its perspective a bit, so it's a bit more about the other, all of the characters involved and not just Smith exclusively. Um, so overall, like I do think it's very, it's a it's a solid drama. It's not one that, I'm going to go over the moon for, but in terms of what it set out to do, I think it mostly accomplishes that. So, you know, question Richard. for you, <clears throat> question for you, Aaron. Mm -hmm. So I didn't see King Richard, but I, I'm under the impression, and maybe this is just like me being a little down on Will Smith, but I feel like it's just another in Will Smith's continuing attempt to get himself an Oscar. And I'm wondering whether or not you think, uh, put on your predictive powers here, does it merit that kind of award consideration? I wouldn't that well okay yes is the answer to your question on like the surface like in a simple way to put it I would say there are performances I've seen this year that I like more than it but in terms of what I would how I tend to expect Oscars to go and what I respect about the Oscars I I can I wouldn't be upset if Will Smith won an Oscar for this movie mm -hmm. I, I think he I think the work he puts in is there and you know yes this movie's made on the premises that there's a hunger for Oscar out there and I don't deny that. At the same time, 
when Will Smith does make these movies that put him out there for an Oscar, I don't dislike him in those movies. I do think he does a good job in them. So it's not really mm-hmm. give or give or take. Like if you want to say collateral beauty was attempted to be an Oscar film, I don't necessarily think it was, but like, you know, there, yeah, there are some like bad ones, like in, in seven pounds. I, I would say the same thing about like, I, I don't, the, the, they're regardless of being bad films i do think that you know these ones are concussion pursuit of happiness ali those are those are all good performances whether or not they you know speak to what the overall goal might in, in fact be i don't dislike him in those movies so this one it's not my top will smith performance but in terms of like the journey he's been on as an actor were he to pull out the gold in this i wouldn't mind it would that be wild wild west don't don't sour a good thing. <laughs> I gave you your answer. Don't hurt okay. me. <laughs> I, would, I would say also this is going to really appeal to the Green Book crowd. If it's, I know the Oscars body has been more made more diverse since Green Book got the Oscar, but this is really going to appeal to the same people. Hmm. I would agree, and at the same time, I'd also say I think Green Book is a better movie. So I mean, it's it, it's very much sort of racism is over if you work hard enough, and it's um you know all the system will help you if you just prove that you're a hard worker and i i that it rubbed me a little the wrong way watching that but i think it's going to rub boomers the exact right way yeah it's like it's a touchy thing because like i think green book is maybe a better movie overall but i respect king richard more for one thing it's the first like movie that will smith has worked on that has a black director which is insane to think about um but also right wow really Uh uh-huh um yeah he's done a lot with music videos and tv work with black directors but this is his actual first movie where he's worked with a black director which is like all of these years <laughs> like it's a yeah you do a double take at that statement because it's like i would not have seen that coming well but uh, not the first director of color right i mean like m night m night would be just, just m night i think so. i looked yeah, at this the other day like oh, there man. there are there are international filmmakers he worked with like uh, on pursuit of happiness and seven pounds is what's his name gabriel I forget his name offhand, but um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's not a not a highly diverse crowd when it comes to to you know the films of, of uh, directed Will Smith movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he, he's been a producer on plenty of projects that have people of color working on the production side or what have you. Uh, all of this is to say, still, Rich, King Richard, I do think it's a very watchable drama, and it's in theaters doing very poorly right now, but also on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Um, the other films I also, well, I mean, I'm only going to mention so much because we'll talk about these in separate episodes, but I've seen Licorice Pizza. I've seen The Tragedy of Macbeth. Uh, I've seen The Tender Bar, which I already agreed on with Mike <laughs> about, but I also watched a film called Drive My Car. This is a Japanese uh, film from director yes. Ryosuke Hamaguchi. Uh, this is a three-hour Japanese drama. It's their submission for the Best International Feature this year. Um, it's very good. Glad <laughs> it's... It, um, it's you know it's it's methodically paced and at three hours it's you know you it has that runtime but i didn't i shouldn't think that should be too daunting if you just want to watch a good well-acted drama i would say there's all the story revolves around i won't get it too far into it but it revolves around an actor who an, an actor who uh is dealing with some uh, personal issues and things change things change his circumstances and then we pick up a few years later where he's trying to put on a play um, it's a what's the play? It's a Russian play. Um, I can't get it offhand right now, but like it does connect thematically to the story that's being told. Um, overall, though, it's just it's a it's a really strong movie. It's a really well acted drama. I really like the lead performance. I don't have it up in front of me, so I can't name the actor, but he's very good in it. 
and I'd certainly, you know, if you have the time, I'd certainly recommend it. It's it comes out in theater like limited release in theaters very uh, this coming week. So, yeah, it's a it's a good one. Yeah, that's uh, that's enough. Quickies. Trade back. Let's uh let's move on now to get to our trailer talk for the week. We talk about the the news movie trailers of the week when it's coming out, what we thought of it, what have you. Uh, this week. We have the the second of two upcoming Tom Holland Sony movies to talk about. We're talking Uncharted. This is the adaptation of the popular PlayStation video game series that now features Tom Holland as Nathan Drake uh, in his younger years as a treasure hunter uh, who's teamed up with uh, Victor Sully Sullivan, played by Mark Wahlberg. The film is directed by Ruben Fleischer. This movie has been in development for quite some time, since 2008. Um, the main reason I want to talk about this trailer is because of the very long production history that has gone into this, because at one point back in 2008, it was Mark Wahlberg who was going to lead as the young lead of the film. And now he's playing the seasoned mentor character, emphasizing just how long they've tried to make an uncharted movie, which is hilarious to me. Uh, Mike, I know you're recusing yourself from talking about the trailer for this week, but I will go to Luke. Luke, what are, are you excited for an uncharted movie? Uh, I'm not necessarily. I've never played the Uncharted game, so I think I'm in a position now where I feel like other people must have felt when trailers of video game movies that I have played came out, which is, I, you know, I know of the character Nathan Drake. That's the extent of my Uncharted knowledge, and I didn't get this trailer at all. I was just like, what am I supposed to be excited about here? Except, I mean, you know, the effects shot at the very end where he's hanging out of the plane and then he's jumping on the carts. It's like, okay, well, it's, it looks stupid when Legolas did that in the Hobbit, but it makes sense in a video game movie kind of that he's jumping from thing to thing in the air. Mm -hmm. But it also looked really kind of artificial because we've seen Tom Cruise do it for real. And I'm not the biggest fan of Tom Cruise or mission impossible, but if that's your big money shot and it already looks like an inferior copy of, one that I've seen in another movie. I'm I'm not sure why I should get excited, except when you mention Ruben Fleischer, because I do like pretty much everything Ruben Fleischer has done, even the stuff that people don't like that he's done, even that gangster one that I don't even remember the name of. Gangster Squad. Gangster Squad. Gangster Squad. Even that one I liked, and you know I like Thirty Minutes or Less. I like Venom. I like both Zombieland. Thirty Minutes so. or Less. Wow, what a callback. So I'm. I'm a I'm I'm a Ruben Fleischer kind of guy, so he seems to have a sensibility that I just vibe to, and that's that would be why I would go and see it if it weren't my job to anyway. <laughs> um, but nothing in the trailer really sells me on it except sort of whoa, there's Antonio Banderas for a second. Abe, how about you? Uh, the video game series I enjoy playing. I haven't played uh, Uncharted Four yet, but we'll get around to it someday soon, maybe. Um, as far as the trailer goes, like the trailer is good aesthetically. It <laughs> looks like Nathan Drake's clothes, and it looks like you know where they might go. And and the actress that they have playing, um, I forget her name in the second game, but it's like, well, that looks really good. She looks almost exactly like the uh, the character design that they that they had. So um, actress is Sophia Ali. She's playing Chloe Fraser. Chloe, yes, thank you. Yeah, and so it's like, hey, you know, good good casting there. As far as like the Mark, the, the Mark um, uh, Wahlberg of it all, I, that's kind of the thing that I was just like, why Mark? You know, like I have a love hate relationship with Mark, so there's there's just sometimes where I'm just like, ah, he's. I hope he doesn't take over this movie and just becomes like the Mark Wahlberg show, which obviously with the name of the game and 
who the lead character is, that really can't be the case, but who knows? So I did enjoy like what Luke, you're talking about, like that stunt thing at the end there. It's like very much in line with the video game, very much of what, what you would have to do uh, in a situation like that. Um, but I'm curious as to how this is going to be be done, mostly because I I think everybody's sort of aware of the the track record that some video game movies have. So we'll see. Most. Yeah, most. Yeah. More <laughs> comment. Excellent. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see. I, I'm I'm very curious is my overall take. I'll tell you a thing I think most video game movies mess up is they think we have to do a different story because players have already played the same game. And it's like you would never say making a Harry Potter movie. Well, we have to do a different story because people already read the book. No, they want to see that story adapted. <laughs> and the move and the ones that work, like Detective Pikachu and I think both Mortal Kombat's to an extent, uh-huh. are the ones that do the story of the game. And it looks like, you know, the new Resident Evil movie is going to do that, which it's about time after seven tries. Agree. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how true this one's going to be to whatever origin Nathan Drake has, but I think if it's the truer it is to the game, probably the better it will do. Well, I am a fan of the games. I've played them all and I can tell that it's pulling aspects from most, like all four of the games mm-hmm. in various ways. And then also starting it much younger because we have Tom Holland here who's playing a younger version of Drake because they have box office dollars in their eyes and they think he can grow into the role to be a more adult one as it goes along. Um, I There's nothing here that really impresses me. I don't try to be the guy that crosses his arms when he walks into a movie. <laughs> this one feels like I need to do that <laughs> as far as like, a, like I want it, I need it to impress me to like justify itself. Mm-hmm. I've never really been excited about an Uncharted movie because you know the the games, the games are, are so great well the games are great but they're also they're a riff on indiana jones and adventure right. things already so to make a movie based off the game that's based off movies there's a sense of redundancy that's very clear to me along with the fact that yes these movies don't tend to be very good so like mm-hmm. i don't have much going for me and on top of that you've added elements that i really don't care for i am the polar opposite of luke apparently because i don't like ruben fletcher as a filmmaker i'm not a fan of his uh i i I, every you know outside of zombie land which i seem to like less and less every time i revisit it uh i've not been impressed with the things that he's done and so having him here it's like well that's not setting me up for much success and the mark Wahlberg of it all it feels like he's cast because they just didn't want to pay him not to be in the movie anymore since he's been attached for like so long. So it's like, well, I guess we got to cast him as something. How about Sully? Does he resemble Sully in any way? No. no. Okay. Like, like, whatever. Like, that's Give me a grizzled like... vet with a mustache, man. Come on. <laughs> so it's, it, it's, there's a lot here. I will say, yes, I agree with Luke. Uh, Antonio Banderas shows up for half a second so that has me excited because I like Antonio Banderas Uh, even if he's just going to play generic you know Spanish bad guy I'm not opposed to these things Um, ideally yes the movie accomplishes something as far as not only resembling the game but giving you you know the kind of adventure fun that you seek in these kind of movies I just don't have too much faith uh, based off the, well, you know, based off the fact of all the things I already named, but also just looking at the trailer. Like I, I can appreciate, you know, like the big plane thing, but like exactly. Once again, I've seen it done for real. <laughs> so it's like, well, what's this version? Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. So yeah, I, uh, you know, 
Tom Holland, doing your thing. I I, <laughs> I, 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 can't, I can't blame you, but uh, I, I I do hope for the best. I, I heard that in the news recently, it's this movie broke him as an actor, which I just like, geez, what? all right. I think physically, as far as the stream. Oh, okay, yeah. Involved in, I assume filming. I was like, Spider-Man. wait till he starts working with David Fincher. I film from filming this and Spider-Man back to back. I can I can imagine that being you know a lot to have to deal with, um, and of course chaos walking. Uh, but regardless, Uncharted <clears throat> arrives in theaters uh, February eighteenth, twenty twenty two, here in the states. So we will see how that goes. And of course, Mark Wahlberg has a great track record with video game movies. Already. Oh boy! <laughs> oh, indeed, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all love. That one movie he made. talk about talk about not adapting the story <laughs> like, <laughs> good lord um okay <laughs> max um, Payne. just thought i'd say it out loud no because he'll come through the window and grab you if you say it too many times. what'd you say to me what's weird is that movie came out in 2008 and that's when this uncharted movie was first starting in development you know uh, he was anyway. just on a hot streak with video games just to, just to be clear there, there was a point where this was going to be a david o russell film starring uh um uh, uh, mark Wahlberg and robert de niro as sully I mean, I like the, the De Niro casting, and I like David O. Russell. It's better than this. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's at inter- least interesting. It's like, what is that going to look like? That sounds more adult. Yeah. Like Bradley Cooper was going to be involved as well as Nate with De Niro still and David O. Just David O. Russell directing an Uncharted yeah. movie is just like, what is that? But exactly. <laughs> okay. All right. That's trailer talk. What's going on now? Let's get, to, let's get to it, guys. Let's get to our main review for Ghostbusters, colon, Afterlife. Somehow, a town that isn't anywhere near a tectonic plate, that has no fault lines, no fracking, no loud music even, is shaking on a daily basis. Under the dining table now! Hey, remember that one summer we died under a table? I found this in my living room. Whoa, killer replica. A replica of what? A ghost trap? There hasn't been a ghost sighting in 30 years. New York in the 80s? It's like The Walking Dead. Your dad never mentioned this to you? It's just my mom. My grandfather died. My mom says we're just here to pick through the rubble of his life. That should have been some of the trailer for Ghostbusters Afterlife. In 1984, Ghostbusters opened and became a worldwide phenomenon. In 1989, a sequel was released, garnering less impressive results. After years of failed plans for a third film, save for a pretty solid video game in 2009 that brought back the whole cast, 2016 saw the release of Ghostbusters Answer the Call from director Paul Feig. Despite decent reviews, that film was met with mixed results, to say the least, thanks to an inflated budget on Sony's part and severe backlash from a certain group of fans decrying the presence of Lady Ghostbusters. Now we have a legacy sequel to the original film with Ivan Reitman's Oscar-nominated son, Jason Reitman, taking over directorial duties. The result is a more Amblin-esque take on the property, with a relocation of the story to small-town USA, focusing on the grandchildren of Egon Spangler, discovering who the Ghostbusters were and what to do now, given that there seems to be something strange in their neighborhood professor mike dillon yeah we've established our your your various thoughts on the ghostbusters throughout the years but if you want to give sure. a, a brief recap of where you where you stand up ghostbusters films and then what were your general thoughts on this movie uh well grew up with the first one very affectionate uh, uh thoughts about the first one. Second one is an inferior sequel not 
uh, not garbage, but you know, not the first one. I I was, I'm trying to recall our conversation about the 26, the Lady Ghostbusters, because I feel like I came to its defense. It's not great, but certainly it, it wasn't as good, uh, it, good enough to defend from the backlash. It ended up being just not worth the hassle. Mm-hmm. Uh, given how much is riding on it. Uh, but at the same time, the, the backlash was also misogynistic and, and should not have been relevant at all. So I think I kind of was on its side, maybe 51% over 49%. Mm-hmm. Fair. Uh, yeah. This one, uh, you you had me go first here, so I'm going to set the mood. I, <laughs> I hated this film, Afterlife, <laughs> so much. Keep going. Um, I, I cringed all the way through. I think the humor was clunky at best. I think the movie's racial politics are really confusing and obnoxious. I think um, there's arguably a couple things that we might come to an agreement on that are kind of charming or bordering on amusing. But overall, like I can't think of a more cynical and condescending film that I've seen all year. I don't think it has anything going on other than just really lazy and empty parade of 80s nostalgia. Um, but what's more frustrating than that is that evidently the assumption on their part is that endless fan service is all we would want out of a Ghostbusters movie, which I find really aggravating because it presents itself as this loving tribute to the original and its fans, which it is. But I find that it's actually quite contemptuous of its audience and how it assumes we don't want anything new or original or intelligent or creative. It's, it's the same reason I hated Rise of Skywalker. Um, that's the last one, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hated that one too because it's like they've utterly given up and are just leaning into what's safe and previously known to be popular. And I just, you can't have art without a sense of risk. Um, so as for like the younger audiences who might be coming into this and having this be their first Ghostbusters outing, I don't really know. Like, I don't, I don't really hang out with the, with the youths, <laughs> but uh would they actually like this movie on its own terms? That was a big question mark for me because it feels way more indebted to and reliant on knowledge of the original than I had anticipated. So, I mean, I guess the sweet spot is to appeal to the parents who will then take their kids as well and deliver to them simultaneously. But I'm, I'm kind of curious how that will play out. Because um, I know it made decent money, right, Aaron? For a it, pandemic release? It made $44 million this weekend, which is a strong start. Yeah, yeah not bad. So... Yeah, I'm a I'm a big no on this, but I'll I'll I'm sure I'll get a chance to interject uh, my thoughts on other things later. I'll just provide some anecdotal information. Friend of the show, Brandon Peters, went to see the film today with his two children, and while he was decidedly mixed on the film, his children did like it quite a bit. But uh, okay. that's again that just that just two little kids. So, <laughs> but just a, a slight answer. Well, get them on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll get yeah. We'll we'll that'll be our spinoff, Generation Zoomers. Out now for kids. Yeah, exactly. That Luke. podcast on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Don't think I didn't try. Luke Thompson, uh, I want to know your uh, kind of history with Ghostbusters. What would you think of this movie? Uh, well, let's see. I, actually, my history with Ghostbusters is an interesting one because uh, I don't know how many people know this about me. I grew up in Ireland where uh, the ratings on movies are considerably more restrictive than they are here if they don't outright ban them. And so when I would come over to the U.S., during the summers, my dad would say, okay, let's go see all the movies you're not allowed to see in Ireland. And we were sort of doing that, seeing, my dad would take me to stuff like Repo Man and Purple Rain and, you know, stuff he knew I was never going to be allowed to see back home. 
And then my mom called me while I was staying with my uncle and said, make sure your father takes you to Ghostbusters. And I said, what do you mean? She's like, I saw Ghostbusters. Make sure he takes you to it. <laughs> so I said, Dad, we got to see Ghostbusters. He's like, well, don't you want to see stuff you can't see? And he's like, Mom says we have to see Ghostbusters. And so we did. And of course, I loved it. And then it took like, it didn't come to Ireland till Christmas. And I had to wait till Christmas to see it again, which of course I did. So huge, huge fan of the first one. Uh, I remember I was very late seeing the second one because I had just moved back to the United States, but I went on a summer vacation back to Ireland during June when Ghostbusters 2 and Batman came out, which was infuriating because I couldn't see either one. Anyway, I don't know how interesting this is to anybody, but Actually, Luke, I have a question for you. I'm sorry to interrupt, but before you, you, you get too far into the new one, I'm really curious, since you saw the original Ghostbusters, but then later the presumably censored one or edited one in a pretty short time span afterwards, what were the changes, if you, um, if you even I, noticed any? I don't think there were any changes for Ireland. Hmm. Um, they didn't, you know, they didn't do a lot of that. A lot of times, uh, you know, was something like air, airplane would be rated for 16 and over in Ireland rather than cutting it. But I can tell you some things in some other movies. I know when Howard the Duck came over to Ireland and they changed the title to Howard, a new breed of hero because Howard the Duck already had a bad reputation. They cut, <laughs> they cut the scene where she found, finds the condom in his wallet and they cut the scene where um, Jeffrey Jones charges up his tongue with a cigarette lighter because they thought it was too gross for kids. So, But uh, anyway, Ghostbusters 2, I caught at the very end of that summer and I was... I think like everyone else, a little disappointed. And like a lot of other people, I now look back on it and I'm like, well, it's still a sequel with all those guys that I like. And my little cousin got really big into the cartoon show. So I watched a lot of the real Ghostbusters and I could tell when they made Ghostbusters 2 that they were trying to sort of incorporate a lot of the cartoon stuff for the kids who'd grown up on that cartoon. And I think that may be why a lot of it doesn't work. Um, with Answer the Call, I will say that I went with my wife, who is a plus-size actress, and she absolutely loved it. She loved the fact that finally there were lead characters in a big, epic sci-fi movie that looked like her and she could relate, um, which I think is significant and meaningful. I think the mistake they made was not keeping it in continuity, because they could have still had it in continuity with four Lady Ghostbusters, and it wouldn't have changed much. Um, I did like that they changed the villain, though, of course, at the end, they had the stinger that said Gozer's probably going to be in the sequel. And my objection to this new one is an objection probably everyone has is why does it have to be Gozer again? Uh, it would be nice to see some other ones, some other threats. Uh, but I guess now it's time to get around to the new one, which I'm, you know, I feel I've. I feel like I didn't hear a lot of people talking about Jason Reitman as a filmmaker in the lead up to this. And I've enjoyed most of what he did. I haven't seen the Jason Reitman films that are supposedly bad, which are Labor Day and Men, Women, and Children. Um, but I like I've, how you could just know what those are, Rob. <laughs> well, I, I actually have IMDb open. I'm cheating. Mm. I, I did, what do I, I do that for I, games? All, all I knew is that one, I remembered that one was named after a holiday. Um, <laughs> The so best that, holiday. <laughs> yeah, Independence Day wasn't Jason Reitman. <laughs> but I think I think it's clear that Jason Reitman would be right at home if this were just a movie about Carrie Coon's character 
moving back into the home of the dad that she hates and hooking up with a seismologist who has to teach summer school. <laughs> that would be the sweet spot for a Jason Reitman movie. Like this movie without the kids and the ghosts. And then the kids and the ghosts are like his dad's part of the movie. is like, no, no, we got to put the kids and the ghosts in. He's like, all right, here come the kids and the ghosts. Um, I think McKenna Grace in this is wonderful. I think even the folks who are critical of this movie have kind of given her credit. And she sings the only cool new song that isn't a nostalgia song that's on the soundtrack. Um, so I'm a sucker for a lot of the nostalgia stuff when they bust out the proton packs and zap ghosts. That was kind of cool. But I also think that this movie shows a real tension between what Jason wants to make and what his father wanted him to make and what the studio wanted them to make. And it's choppily edited to where there are a lot of gaps, I think, in the story that they sort of assume and correctly that you will brush over them and make the connection. But it's missing things. It is good enough that I think the stuff I like outweighs what I think are the awkward bits. Uh, I think the dynamic with Finn Wolfhard and Celeste O'Connor's character, Lucky, is really also awkward, especially because like she actually brings up their age difference at one point. And I looked this up while they were shooting. He would have been, I think, 17 and she would have been 20. So it is technically on that line of being inappropriate. And it's sort of like, why are you doing that? And why are you calling her lucky? Like he's going to get lucky that, I think she saved the role by being really charismatic, but that was a kind of a cringe part of the script as is the kid called podcast who has a podcast. But again, that actor whose name I'm- Logan blanking, I'm blanking on the moment. He is so good and he obviously is too young to realize that he's playing a character that's so cliche. We've seen it in the Chucky series and Godzilla versus Kong this year. Um, he's so enthusiastic that I think it carries. And I think in a lot of cases, the enthusiasm by the actors and the enthusiasm by some of us viewers carries this movie enough that it works. But I'm not going to vociferously argue with the people who have criticisms of it because I see them. Hey, what about you? Where are Good we use of the word stuff? vociferous. I, uh, as far as my history with the Ghostbusters go, I've seen um, all of the movies. I obviously quite enjoy that first one. That library sequence still spooks me out because I watched it when I was like eight or maybe even six. Um, and it's great. I, I really enjoy it. I often think about libraries in that way. And then I also, <laughs> um, like whenever you're just like in, in one of the stacks, you're just like, oh, I hope that there's not a dead librarian, right? Just me? Um, the other thing is, I Ghostbusters 2. What's a short. library? <laughs> <laughs> it's what Amazon's, uh, you know, the e-reader is, but if they put all the books in one place. Um, it's, it's that place that your students don't need to go to because your classes are too easy. <laughs> it's a comic book store, according to the obnoxious comic book clerk. There you go. <laughs> Thank you for visiting the library. <laughs> Uh, part two is part two, and then uh, you know the new Ghostbusters I saw as well. I've also even seen like the um, it's not a knockoff, but it's it's like a different version of the Ghostbusters. The um, Ghostbusters, yeah, the Ghostbusters, like not, not to be confused with the cartoon, the real Ghostbusters. Correct, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I've even seen that, and I was like, oh, this is a, a different take. But as far as like this one goes, 
there's there's a scene in this movie where Paul Rudd, who plays a uh, teacher, a seismologist, Mr. Gruberson, Mr. Gruberson, Gruberson, yeah, Gruberson, Gary, Gruberson, Gary, yeah. Gary, Gruberson. Gary, Gary Gruberson. And there's a scene where he's talking to McKenna Grace, and he's like, you know what? I, I'm here because there's these earthquakes here in in this weird part of Oklahoma, and there are no fault lines, and there's you know nothing really for me to really understand this. Like, there's no fracking. Um, and he draws like this, uh, he draws like a P, a, a P curve or P sign wave, P wave, P wave. And then he draws like an S wave. And she's like, you know, I know. And uh, if you were to screenshot that drawing of what he does, that's this movie, because essentially what it is, is uh, there's like some really interesting things that they do. And then some less interesting things that they do. And then some really terrible things that they do. And then it's kind of just boring sometimes too. Uh, and then it goes into the next wave of really interesting things. So, so what this movie is, is like, they, there's actually, I was, I was kind of upset by this movie. Like, I don't know if I, I hated or loathed it, but I was upset because there's some really cool ideas that they could have just done on their own. Like, as their own movie, they could have been, you know, just a, a fun family movie for you to go to. The nostalgia stuff is a little bit too over the top, especially in the third act, which I'm sure everyone will get to. But I, I think that there are, was just this mishmash of ideas and because you had to either appease fans or you either had to uh, go your own way or you had to like circle back to things that you that you wanted to do i think that there was a problem there because as you might have guessed with everybody what we're all going to talk about when you give in too much to fan service you're going to get a movie that is kind of incoherent and inconsistent uh, a lot of the time so i thought that this movie had some interesting ideas especially like McKenna Grace kind of just being your your lead character and kind of either going on her own ghost hunting adventure that would have been fun uh but then you know you have to like build in this love story with her brother and the love story with like her mom and then you have to like do the the Egon stuff and then you have to like go back into wherever you might need to go into um and it just became kind of a bummer because the thing that I, I mostly disliked about it was that it didn't really build to anything it just got there and so it's not even like a feeling of being unearned. It's kind of just more of, okay, cool. She finds this proton pack and then she becomes an expert immediately. And then I guess she's going to go ghost hunt immediately. And then like, you know, light the trap kind of thing. And I, I just thought that it, when they got to the third act and they finally, like, there's no real discussion of a plan of what they're going to do. You kind of just see it unfold. There's just no sense of like, yeah, let's go. Or I'm really pumped. Because Lucky's just like, let's go do this. And it's like, all right, I, I guess that we're just here now. Uh, so it's unfortunate on that part. But I did think that McKenna Grace was very good. She's she's very funny. She's got a great uh, she's got a great science or math joke, uh, geometry joke, I should I should say. And she also brings a lot to the table because she's definitely been acting for a while. So some of her emotional scenes hit. Carrie Coon is also very good in this movie. She, uh, is, along with like Paul Rudd, are you know the two only adult actors in this movie, uh, so to speak. And I think that they're really good. Paul Rudd did get the assignment, is what I'll say. Like he kind of got that. It's like, yeah, it's kind of like Goofy Camp, and let me just go do this. But with all that being said, I think that it's like a mishmash of emotions, and it's like a little bit too up and down for me to really say like, oh, this is a solid entry into it. Did I like what they did visually? Yes, of course. But did I think that it was like the best thing that I, I've seen uh, or like the, you know, the best coming back to a story or an IP that we've uh, all been um, knowing for a large part of our lives? Not the best. 
um ghostbusters is one of my favorite comedies the second one i don't mind i think it's fine the the lady ghostbusters answer the call um i also like more or less mainly because it has andy garcia giving one of my favorite line readings in the past decade um which, but, which line is that when she compares him to the the Jaws man, don't ever compare me to the man in Jaws. Uh, oh, okay. he, says, he says he he says don't compare me to the don't, yeah. don't compare me to the the Jaws bear. Then he goes never. And he yeah. says it so loud, <laughs> like he gets so instantly angry. It's, it's too funny. Um, um, so this new one comes along, and uh, no, I, I'm not a fan. I. I, I am upset at this in a way because I feel like the first act of this movie is pretty good and proves that you could easily do a Ghostbusters movie like this without having to rely on the things that they end up relying on. Um, but they do. And I find a lot of issue with that because for the most part, while it kept going in a way where it's like, okay, we're just repeating the story and yeah that's what it is but i'm trying to like take it on good faith as far as the casting goes and some other elements but i i, I can't remember the last time that a movie came to such a like thudding halt for me as this one does in the last 10 minutes where it just goes into overdrive as far as how much stuff they decide to bring into its conclusion um that i did not care for and made me mad um, and then even ends the film in a way where it's like, well, there's no real resolution here beyond, well, they stop this thing, I guess, maybe. And then <laughs> what happens to these characters? Who knows? We just kind of end with the credits. Um, but even before that, uh, despite the positives that I have, which includes, yes, McKenna Grace, who's very good in this movie, and Carrie Coon is very good in this movie. Paul Rudd is good. I, he's not stretching whatsoever, but I mean, he's Paul Rudd, so he's just naturally likable. Um, and like the general look of the film is decent enough because yes jason reitman as a filmmaker he generally knows what he's doing um but like aside from just like the nostalgia aspects and like callbacks and things i i this felt like a weirdly empty movie to me um as far as like this town is somerville where I guess we're just going on faith that people just stop believing in ghosts, despite the presence of ghosts that happened. Um, so when things start occurring, uh, this film has no time to like show the reaction that a town would have to the presence of spirits um, flying around, which kept being a problem for me because it's like, okay, like I get that it's a small town. It's not super populated, but like you're showing that people exist here. But then, like, you just stop. Ha- like, there's a giant car chase sequence in this movie that seems like it would have massive repercussions based off the amount of property damage and everything that's going on here. And there's pretty much nothing. Uh, like, like stores and buildings are ruined, but, like, there's just no real consequence from that. And there's even police introduced, including Bokeem Woodbine. And they completely disappear by the end of the movie where, you know, stuff continues to happen, and yet we have no response to that whatsoever. It's not me trying to nitpick, but it's just like, it feels like it's empty. Like, I don't, like, what I like about Ghostbusters is that New York feels like a character in that movie. It's very much a New York movie. This, it it feels like a calculated move to capitalize on Amblin and Stranger Things as far as like, yeah, let's get a feel that's like that, but with Ghostbusters. Okay, what else can we do with that? Well, we have these neat characters. Okay, and what else? That's it. And it's like, okay, so what? what's the point here? And I guess the point is to introduce it to this younger generation. And that's fine. And again, it introduces it in a way where I think it could go along with that, but it just doesn't really have much trust to do that. So instead it pivots to having 
all of this fan service that I know there's a way to do that correctly. I've seen a, at least one Star Wars movie and Creed that showed me you can handle this correctly. Mm-hmm. But this movie, it just feels like it's workshop to death to like make every move feel not organic, but just more, this is what makes sense here. Like the care, like Finn Wolfhard's character, for example, is the big brother. There, we can talk about this, you know, this romance thing that he had, but it felt like all of his stuff felt entirely unnecessary. He felt like an afterthought as a character. He felt like, well, we need the characters to have a car chase with the ghost at some point. How do we do that? Well, what if the what if the girl has an older brother? Okay, so we write an older brother into it. Like that's what it, it, it didn't feel like. There's a, necess- a necessity for it. Like that, it feels like I could pick apart this thing based off of what Sony wants in order to maximize what they can get out of this, as opposed to something that Jason Reitman really hoped that he could make one day. And yeah, it just doesn't connect for me much. So ever like the, I was annoyed at how manipulative it felt when it got into areas that were trying to elicit certain kinds of emotions out of you. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. I, 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 I want, it hasn't helped that like all of the interviews leading up to this have acted like 2016's film didn't exist or like Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray didn't like it and, and, and um, Ernie Hudson uh, <laughs> like didn't you know cameo in that movie and give their blessing and all that they're acting like yeah we finally made the movie that the fans have wanted to see and it's like what is this like guys like, it's not it's not like you're gonna get tarred and feathered for like recognizing that there was another movie made before this one so it's like there's this weird energy around this movie in general that like I was trying not to bring into this and again I like things about it but like it just over it just kept dove you know dive bombing into other areas i just could not get into mm-hmm. so yeah i uh did i'm three for four on ghostbusters movies apparently <laughs> <laughs> not not to be de- super deborah down because i know that that luke you you like this uh, actor but i thought podcast was just unnecessary like i already talked about like unnecessary characters like this guy is just here to really be exposition machine and talk to me about things that i don't really care about but like as the audience was laughing i, I really didn't laugh with them i was like this guy's just annoying and he's just He's here to serve as like a device to get to things and to or sort of like keep the movie going. But it's it's kind of done in, in a very like over the head way. I just wish he had a name. <laughs> like I just wish that the one Asian character <laughs> in this movie had a name. And he's like, you know, my, my name's, you know, Joe, whatever. But, but people call me podcast. But uh-huh. just, I'm just podcast. <laughs> I think Phoebe does need a foil character who is her peer. That's what so he understandable he's essential in that regard i also strongly suspect there is a much longer version of the script where they just said count cut out everything that isn't an action beat because it really feels like there's a lot missing and that it's going to be filled in in a novelization at which point everybody's going to write the same think piece about why should a film have to have gaps filled in by the novelization well (laughs) well that, that might make more sense because of some of the stunt casting like toward the end there i was like why is this actor here and then you know kind of done in, yeah, in 30 seconds so and some really wasted cameos yeah um especially toward the end i actually since you guys mentioned like you know finn wolfhard's character seems really underwritten podcast seems underwritten <clears throat> he's just there to kind of get you from point a to point b i kind of felt that way about paul rudd about get gary yeah. Gary Gruberson, Glenn Ross, because <laughs> I mean, so Paul Rudd, he Paul Rudd is always operating on at least some minimal level of likability and charm because yeah. he's Paul Rudd. Right. But 
there really isn't much point to his character other than to serve as the Rick Moranis substitute toward the end. There's really, there's definitely no point in him being a scientist in this film other than like a brief exposition. Exposition, yep. <laughs> with the, with the, the, the wavelength demo that Abe alluded to, right? It's, it's like, I, what especially bothers me is that he's clearly like good at, you know, he's Paul Rudd. So he has a certain right. kind of innate charisma to him. And he's very excited about this specific fact, but he's like, purposely awful as a summer school teacher like it, there's so I, I don't understand his role it's, like yeah, it's, it's also like teacher. it's supposed to be played for laughs and while i did enjoy that he's you know giving these kids r-rated movies to watch um it's just like yeah i don't really know what the purpose of this is like you don't you didn't have to show me this part you didn't have to show me that she needs to go to summer school she could have just been in the library that's the other thing. like why is she in summer school like i just yeah. don't i don't it's get like these that's, that's the thing i did like also is like they, they make these characters caricatures she's a nerd you know what i mean so she loves school and like all of her jokes are flat because she doesn't she's awkward and then you know she even has like uh, other things like where she's like she's talking to her mom about how she's a scientist and whatever it's like i get it man but this is like just so overbearing yeah in defense of lady ghostbusters like it like we agree it's not terrific but there's at least an attempt to recast it in a way that introduces a new comedic sensibility mm-hmm Right. And not even if it ultimately doesn't succeed all that much, it's not an effort to just pack it full of references. Right. I don't mind the dash of fan service um, Easter eggs. I mean, that's what makes them fun. Right. They add they, they they add this extra layer of enjoyment if you're in the know. But when you're wall to wall nostalgia, I mean, the reason why he's showing R rated movies in class is to sneak in more 80s references. Right. Cujo, Chucky. There's also like roller skating. There's gremlins being referenced here. When If all you're doing is stringing together nostalgic references in lieu of a real story, you're not a film. You're just an episode of Family Guy. Well, the town and the town yeah. itself, I mean, it's like it's it's set now, but it's certainly not designed to resemble, a, you know, 2021. It's designed sure. to, like, give you a throwback look because it's the small town that doesn't have right. too much going on. So you can think it's any town USA at any time, right. like, in, which is, you know, this Amblin era, which is, you know, yeah. the, the, down to the casting of Stranger Things as Finn Wolfhard. <laughs> <laughs> but I would also agree with you on the town presence itself, which is. There is none. And I kept on thinking to myself, there are only like five people in this town, except for some people walking. There's even the part where they are in that car chase scene. And you can see in the background that people are just casually walking. And it's very, it's kind of, it's not, it's not a huge thing. It's kind of more of a nitpick, but just more that who lives in this town, except for these kids that work at this spinners burgers place and one old lady. Uh, and then the, you know, the, this family here. And I understand that you don't have to go into any of this stuff at all because those people are irrelevant but it just doesn't feel like it's very lived in and that's unfortunate because you know everybody apparently knows that egon spangler is like this weirdo who had this house out in the middle of nowhere but it makes it all feel more artificial right i mean it's really does the idea i mean if the idea if you're basing this off of people don't believe in ghosts anymore and then you give me no chance to actually see people discover the wonder of ghosts. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't I, like if you have a whole segment devoted to Bokeem Woodbine and his cop friends laughing at the idea that there's a little girl's trying to catch a ghost. And then you have no, you know, follow up to that. <laughs> like, I, I don't it's it's it was it's frustrating. Yeah, I hear you. Can I add to this? Because Please. this is this is actually one of my biggest sort of complaints about the film, which is that it. And this is kind of building off of Luke's comment earlier about, I think, when you mentioned Green Book, um, this movie doesn't take place in Oklahoma. It takes place in this 
utter Hollywood fantasy of a world in which racism is completely over. Alberta. Um, that's where they filmed it. <laughs> that's where they filmed it. That's where but they filmed it, yeah. It's Oklahoma, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. It's, Oklahoma. it's supposed yeah. to be so, in Oklahoma, yes. Yeah, Summer so it's Hill. the south, or south, central south, wherever Oklahoma is. But the setting of this film, it, they take such great pains to point out this is in the middle of nowhere, like, right, ass end of Oklahoma. But this rural small town with like a single Main Street and a Walmart is easily as racially diverse as New York City, right? The classrooms in the school, that like there's a girl wearing a hijab sitting in the class. And I was like, this is such Hollywood nonsense of like having your cake and eating it too by, by like insisting on presenting this very stark division between urban and rural life because it, it informs how your characters are these fish out of water people. And there's a storyline of, of uh, adapting to a new environment and things like that. Um, but also... At the same time, meeting this checkmark diversity requirement for contemporary audience. And this is what bothers me. It's done so without any real mind to like actual real life political divisions that would accompany these environments. Um, mm -hmm. It's so aggravating when you think about the rise of white supremacy in the country right now and the, and the murder of Ahmaud Aubrey in a smallish town, perhaps not unlike this one. And to have a film that like pays such heed to issues of racial diversity while also paying zero attention to the social conditions that like impede real racial equality in society to present this conservative leaning town presumably as a place like beyond politics and post-racial and a completely apolitical i find this so cynical and gross let me ask it's, you a question yeah what's the preferred version of this like in a Ghostbusters movie, are you like that's set in a small town? Are you also expecting there to have this kind of s specific address of the idea that the uh, you know there's outsiders that are you know from New York that are presumably more progressive versus like a town that's full of quote unquote hick people that like have their own prejudices in addition to not believing ghosts? Sure. So I'm not saying that like sophisticated racial commentary is what I expect from a film that's partly geared toward kids. But as a not kid, I felt condescended to. And if I was showing this to kids, I would object to this type of messaging because it presents like perfect racial harmony as something that just exists and is taken for granted, even in a Southern red state, as opposed to being something we need to actively support and lift up and fight for and not being taken, not take as being for granted, especially right now. Now, if a movie doesn't want to go there, that's fine. But this movie actively takes steps to pretend it's not a thing. And I think that's worthy of criticism because it's to me the difference between saying, you know, uh, you know what, I think I'll stay home and not go to the BLM protest march today versus deliberately pretending there's nothing to see here, folks. I mean, what's the name of the restaurant where they Spinners. the burger joint? Spinners. Uh, super not racist, I believe is the name of the restaurant. <laughs> Did you catch the Confederate flag in that? production design i did not no it's not it's not quite a confederate flag but there's some like similar uh stars and stripes imagery there so what you end up with is like this production design that's meant to like scream rural uh southern america but the casting choices and the diversity completely blow past any intelligent consideration of how fraught these things are in the country right now i i just it it gives me an itch what can i say mm -hmm. well having been back to the south fairly recently I will say I was surprised on the surface level by how much diversity there actually is now. Um, yeah. There are those tensions beneath the surface and there are events that bring them to the head, but superficially walking down the street, it is way more diverse than you'd think. And 
I think if you had a town like this, yes, there would be those tensions, but there would be days where it might look like this and you would see Confederate flags and other races and other faiths and nothing happens. And there would be days where stuff does happen. So it's, it's more, I think it's, it's a more complex issue than this movie can tackle for sure. But you could do something with prejudices under the surface versus Gozer under the surface that this movie doesn't really do. I, there's definitely connection you could make there. I certainly, yes, I agree with that. But also, I, Mike, I respect the obviously what you're saying. It's just like, it's the kind of thing where this is like lower on my list by nature of, I just have to go with the fact this is a fantasy movie. And ultimately, and even if it's grounded in the real world, like I, I can only expect so much from a major studio production of something like Ghostbusters to tackle certain kinds of elements or whether or not I have to agree with how it's choosing to handle certain politics in the face of children that will see this movie. Uh, there's a deeper conversation to go with that will stray us even further away from what's actually in this film. But I, I mean, I do, but I do respect what you're saying. Yeah. I was actually in, in, I was mentioning this in response to Aaron as well, because I think like what I just uh, explained is kind of my take or my version on your complaint, which is that the town feels really, empty of ideas not that's just fair. people mm-hmm. yeah. right I will, say, I will say on the politics tip because ghostbusters has kind of been claimed by libertarians in recent years i did sort of think it like was ivan funny. reitman I, I did think it was funny the idea that egon went full doomsday prepper because that's very much a libertarian thing to do what bothers me about that to bring it back to this the, the plot of this movie is that his friends would not believe him like, I don't, I don't understand how yeah, they, would, they would not believe their scientist friend who, like, these characters exist in a universe where they have saved the world twice from, like, ghost specific, The end of, of days. Ghost, yeah. Ghost-related prophecies and whatnot. And then yeah. they're like, yeah, Egon, I don't know about it this time, man. You sound crazy. Like, I, it, it, right. like the, there's a lot of shaky foundation here where I was trying to give the film the benefit of the doubt but it just never really rang right as far as using that as a a catalyst to quote unquote bring the band back together in some way it's like that's that's a that's a huge stretch for you to think that the ghostbusters broke up for a reason that makes very little sense to me given the history of the ghostbusters yeah i would well, agree with that again, they're ignoring a lot of history they're ignoring i think even the second movie let alone all the cartoon stuff so mm-hmm. It was kind. Of, it's there it was kind of a one-off, and also I would add also that you've seen in the real world how easily and suddenly real-life friendships have been dissolved by a crisis that is a little bit less than a giant marshmallow man coming to trash the city. Um, so you know, if doomsday prepping caused Egon to vote the wrong way or to register as a Democrat instead of a Republican, I can. I can just about buy that might have torn him apart. But again, that that goes to possible gaps in the script, which I think they probably thought out and didn't put in the final product. I think those arguably libertarian politics carry over completely because I was thinking about this going in because the original film is, is very Reagan era. Right. One of the main villains of the story is the EPA guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, the Ghostbusters the are basically, office, yeah. yeah, they're basically entrepreneurs and government regulation is not only an antagonist, they're actually responsible for unleashing all the mayhem. 
in the first film. Um, I think I offered this theory when we first talked about it, but like William Atherton straight up dies a horrific death in that film, by the way. No, he doesn't. There's, there's no way you can be drenched in marshmallow that's hot enough to liquefy and not be scalded by it. Um, that's my theory anyway. I mean, so, we, we see him after the fact, like he's still alive. It's a gag. No, that's a ghost. That's a ghost. Oh, okay. Anyway, Got it. It's ghost. Anyway, anyway, so so the original film is really anti-government and, and edges toward like pro-vigilantism. And this film, despite its attempts to like topically update its story to today, it even has like a Me Too related thing at the very end. Um, like this is one area in which the politics of the original film, I do think really carry over the idea that like plucky enterprising individuals don't have to follow certain rules and vigilantism is acceptable if, as long as the person doing it is likable. That's, I think that's very much going on in this film. And again, not to, not Does to vigilantism keep apply into... in the same way when you're focusing on, you know, not just like humans taking on other humans and whether or not there's a morality to at play there, but like actual, like, ghosts that like don't really count towards anything beyond not haunting stuff or whatever ghosts do i think whether the threat is terrorism or ghosts or aliens or whatever the idea of we're going to take care of this ourselves is a vigilant vigilante fantasy on some degree on some okay well the, yeah, on okay. some degree There's right some and there are, areas, there are degrees. because it's not because it's not as if you know, it's like, if we didn't do this, then at least the cops are there because, like, they don't believe in the thing that they're going after to begin with, right? I mean, it's it's only right. these characters that are aware of this presence to begin with that know to do something about it. Mm -hmm. It's not Death Wish. Yeah, right? Correct. There, yes. there are degrees. <laughs> there are degrees of not. But again, I don't, I don't want to keep bringing the room down, but whether this is intentional or not, this sort of like, no, 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 go at it alone. That's fine. It's just not the kind of uh plot development i want from a film the exact same week kyle rittenhouse was acquitted for killing two people because he was out playing action hero you know that's that's the kind of thing that makes me just think seriously this movie can fuck itself mm -hmm. i think it's well, so uh, baked into the action movie formula that they're probably not thinking about it like most action most action movies is bureaucracy is going to hold you up so go out and kill the bad guy with a gun ultimately. right the lone the the rogue cop yeah. It's entirely about there. I turn in your badge. So, yeah. um, I'm, I guess I'm critical of a trope more than I am about anything this movie's doing originally. Because uh, yeah. speak on it, original man. about the movie. But I'm not sure they're that conscious of the trope. I think it's just so baked in that they're going with it. Yeah, yeah it's formula. I mean, um, I've got a question for you guys, which is the third act of this movie. Aaron, you're alluding to it. Um, I, I think we might all be on the same page, but I'm curious what you guys thought about. Uh, the cgi but then beyond that there's there's even an element of like physical interaction with a character and well let's okay so we've talked about ghostbusters quite a bit do, do you want to a b do you think it's fair to say we should delve into spoilers so we can be more specific about and there were gonna be brief things? spoilers yeah i think we've spoiled a fair bit already <laughs> yeah okay but in terms of like specifics yeah i think we have general thoughts on our on this movie and... okay so let's say right now for the listeners that we're going to delve more into exactly what happened so we don't have to dance around words so if you haven't yes, seen ghostbusters and you plan to and you don't want to be entirely revealed on what's going to happen feel free to pause this podcast watch the movie then immediately come back and finish podcast do nothing else except that exactly those, um, <laughs> those instructions exactly so also okay. if, if you haven't seen the action figures on the shelves of the characters <laughs> who show up in the third act they have action figures okay oh yeah i, I wouldn't be a surprised review of them uh, yeah. i have them all so what happens in the third act is that egon spangler comes back in a jedi force ghost uh blue 
and helps out Harry Potter, McKenna Grace, and defeat Gozer. And then there are these closing moments where I guess that the three, uh, the three original Ghostbusters have this moment of closure with the actor of of uh, of uh, Egon, Harold and Ramis. then yes, Harold Ramis, the and late then, Harold Ramis, yeah. the late Harold Ramis. Uh, shout out to him at the Academy Awards. And then also Carrie Coons' character, his daughter, has this moment where she can finally get some closure as well, despite being in the dark for 40 plus years of her life. And then the movie ends with no resolution of any character whatsoever. Um, yeah, um, as far as the effects go, um, like they're fine, I guess. I mean, yeah, sure. The effects are fine, but kind of just more of like what they're going for. I'm curious what your, your take is. I, I was. <laughs> I was it made me mad it made mm-hmm. me mad that like it was generating a certain kind of emotion that I knew it was going for and I didn't like knowing that I, how manipulated I felt in that moment that it was like trying to get me on this level based off this imagery and like what it's doing to use the ghost uh, to combine forces and it was something I was entirely afraid of when they announced this movie and they announced more and more cameos and I was holding on to this whole thought that I don't think Bill Murray would sign on to this movie if they knew they were going to CGI in Harold Ramis, and I was wrong. And <laughs> it just it bothered me immensely uh, that they were relying on this emotional component that just d- didn't work for me. But how about you guys, Mike, Luke? What, what do you think? Worked for me a hundred percent. I thought it was a very, I thought it was a seamless effect, first of all, and. I think it's what you want in that story as a fan of that story, however they do it. Um, it's, you know, I know it was, I, I forget who it was that back when Ghost came out with Patrick Swayze, they said you have, the producer said you have to have that moment where you see him at the end, otherwise the whole movie doesn't work. I kind of feel that way about this one and it absolutely did work for me. But I know people who know the behind the scenes story, certainly Drew McQueenie in his newsletter was going on about, oh, Bill Murray and Harold Ramis had unresolved issues behind mm-hmm. the scenes. And this is horrible because it doesn't deal with their unresolved issues and Harold Ramis wouldn't want it. And I can't speak to whether Harold Ramis would want it or not. As a fan, I wanted to see Egon have that last moment, but it's up to his family whether they think it's exploitation or not. It's, that's above my pay grade. Mike, how about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, the effects generally, um, I, I mean, I was aware going in because the original Ghostbusters has one of my favorite practical effects, which is when the eggs are popping and frying on the countertop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I knew that uh, uh, there would inevitably be like the big CGI grand finale, but um, I did like it earlier in the film when the effects are more practical. They're, they're not as extravagant because they're, they're more about mood and atmosphere than spectacle, right? Like when the little girl is being led down into the basement, things like that. Now, mm. as for, like I said, the big spectacle at the end, I, I I, mean, I expect opinions to be pretty split about Ghost Egon. I think some will find it to be the kind of pinnacle of fan service and a special treat for those of us who love the original cast and quite possibly be very moving in its own way. But for others, and I do think I'm more in the latter category, I think it comes across as not just manipulative, but a bit creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at its worst, of course, like ethically inappropriate. That's a whole conversation uh, in of itself. Although, sure. uh, I mean, he looked great. The CGI looked great. I thought. Yeah, I yeah. don't think I I mean, it's the thing they same thing they do with like Tarkin is just better now because of right. time. But they had another actor, and then they 
believe it was Oliver Cooper, I believe is the actor, and then they, you know, just kind of shaped the face differently like overall. Deep faked it or something. Yeah, and you know, it, the CGI does look great, right? And then it, it worked out. And I was actually really on with it with like the whole entire let me help you out with this proton pack so that you know we can cross the streams again. Um, and I was with it when he's just there and they're like looking at him and and kind of talking about Harold Ramis because at that point it's not really Egon anymore. Um, and then I kind of was confused when when Carrie Coons gives him a hug and he's able to hug her back. So, like, sure, is it is it a, an emotion that they're really driving for? Yes. Is it something that maybe uh, um, you know Reitman can say like, well, you know, he, he was kind of like a, a distant uncle to me too. Sure, that's fine. But I, I, ultimately, I'm just like, I don't know how this works out. But I guess I'm gonna go with it am i okay with it not necessarily but i just if it wasn't just for the hug i suppose which is nice and comforting but again you just found out that your dad loved you uh like three hours ago um and and i guess this is it but uh and then aaron to your point like literally a title card comes up it says like for herald and then it just shows a shot of new york so i don't I don't know how that really reconciles itself either. It, it gives me a lot of questions involving ghost logic. For one thing, as far as tangibility goes, I mean, it's established that ghosts could like interact with the world. I mean, it's playing totally, chess yeah. and whatnot. Like it's a, it, it, I'll say this in, ter- in terms of bringing Egon into it. It's not like the film doesn't have the steps leading up to that. So I don't like, I don't you, despise you expected it. You expected I don't despise it. the film for like making that decision. It's more of, I really didn't like how the, how the OG Ghostbusters just arrived all of a sudden and then said, exactly the same lines from the first movie because there's no possible way that the three very talented actors could say anything else that would be entertaining uh so they just say the same lines and do all like it's there's a way to do that scene i think that's better and they failed entirely that's that's where i stand with that so it's like i don't dislike the idea of harold ramis in theory but it's like i just don't like the approach they had to it understand uh, but also like <laughs> slime or slimes people so you know people can hug ghosts <laughs> but, but, uh, but uh, the, the other thing real quick is that i i, I don't know how ghosts work <laughs> because like every other ghost is like an insane thing that goes crazy and whatnot and harold ram is just like i guess i'm just a normal guy but just a ghost now like i don't i, I don't i don't understand what the what separates <laughs> recently deceased that that's probably why well, the, the library ghost was a standard human before they chased her, and then she turned monstrous. So mm-hmm. they've had humanoid ghosts before. I, I don't. I'd say they don't have humanoid ghosts. I just. I don't like some ghosts are like pra- like you know like a zombie. Like I right, mean, right. I, yeah, it like just, the miner that shows up in the in the cafe. It, exactly. So it's just. I guess because what Egon's just aware of how ghosts work, he can just control his ghostliness. I, yeah, I'm not. He, I'm not being like that. Away we could go. Yeah, I mean, I don't need like a ten minute explanation on this. It just, I just kept wondering, like, I guess because he has unfinished business, which is like the standard explanation for how ghosts work in this world. <laughs> like, it's yeah. just all right. That's why he's there. <laughs> it's also thoughtful of him to not appear in a sort of Egon form at multiple earlier points in the film just to i guess not freak people out unnecessarily until it's necessary maybe he needed energy but, from the whole gozer thing maybe. <laughs> so the observation i had about the arrival of the trio at the end mm-hmm. it's so so i know that like one of the unspoken rules in criticism is to like criticize the movie you saw not the better one playing in your head sure but i would have much preferred either a subplot or even just a whole separate movie about ray and Winston and Bankman reuniting and having this really awkward plane ride to get to Oklahoma. 
right? Because they haven't seen each other in years. And yeah. or no, they wouldn't be able to fly with their proton packs. So like a road trip movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I think a different men- director would have done that in a much better way, like a more. I mean, yeah. I all but guarantee Bill Murray said I'll only do two scenes. Oh, I guarantee. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Hudson couldn't get enough of him in this movie, right? right? Like, I, I actually, I really like the post-credit scene of Birdie. Yeah, Hudson. well, that's what I was going to get to. Is like, <laughs> we should talk about two post-credit sequences now, since yeah, we're we'll, still in spoiler territory. We'll get, we'll get there then, because like, there's no more about this finale that yeah. boggled my mind. Yeah. Um, one thing, I okay, so this town has a Walmart for some reason, despite having is the population of five, they have a Walmart. Um, I get. Stay Puff Marshmallow is a brand. Okay. Ghosts come in and haunt the marshmallow bags for some reason because people in 1984 saw Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Therefore, anytime you get, you're going to animate that. Why are they in the Ecto 1 at the end? Like, that's what I, I, I don't understand. It just, it, it, that felt like another thing where it's like, well, Rick Moranis or whatever, they're all covered in marshmallow at the end of the first movie. So we need podcasts to get covered in marshmallow. How do we get them covered in marshmallow? I guess we'll just have the marshmallows in the car for some reason. Why? I don't know. Maybe they stopped at Walmart because they're going to make s'mores after they stop Gozer. Who cares? Like it just. Yeah. There's, I don't just... know how they became the 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 flying monkeys for Gozer. Yeah, it's just weird are. stuff to me. Yeah, I mean, and even was... like his little thing of uh, like podcast his little thing of like I'm busy, and I was like, you're busy. Like, there's like a demon from the deep that's going to be killing everybody if you don't help this boy out. You know what I mean? It's like, come on, priorities here, kid. It did make me sad that podcast died. <laughs> <laughs> well, do oh, there's a ghost him? at the end. Oh, oh yeah, no, no, no. I mean, yeah. Do we see podcast after this scene? No. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Although I, I didn't care that they found a way to shoehorn in the the mini Stay Puff Marshmallow Men, but mm-hmm. and you know, obviously they're being recast here as gremlins. But it was kind of amusing when they start. Some of them start straight up committing suicide. <laughs> oh, I didn't. Yeah, I like the first use of that just because it's like, oh, it's cute. And I like that Paul Red was like red velvet, blue velvet, and then he laughed. Not mm-hmm. then he laughed. But um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's just it's a silly scene. It's just like, why did they come back? I just I couldn't. Mm-hmm. It's just it, it in the midst of already layering on a bunch of stuff. It's like this is also a thing. Like the marshmallows that don't mean anything to anyone except Ray, who's not even there yet. All right. <laughs> well, I think that everything is headed toward this giant Ghostbuster. But Ghostbusters cloud size nostalgia thing, right? Where like all the pieces come in. And then of course you introduce the old actors and it's just, it's all wall to wall nostalgia at that point. And I think I'm responding to like an observation Abe had earlier on, which is with regard to like replicating the formula of the original. Um, although like in the beginning, I think it's arguably ripping off Spielberg the most. Um, I think the, the movie works best in the earlier moments when it's letting the kids make their own discoveries, right? Mm-hmm. I think this is what he was saying. Yeah. And find, yeah, finding their way through this new world they discovered. And and I think someone mentioned, what's the little girl's name again? The actor? Phoebe. McKenna Grace. Yeah. yeah, she's great, right? She's MVP. Mm-hmm. Um, and these like mostly dialogue-free passages where Phoebe's sort of playing chess and eventually making her way downstairs. Like there's also something I think charming and interesting about these YouTube era kids who've never heard of the Ghostbusters before, discovering and embracing all of this analog technology Uh for the first time. Like that's an interesting dynamic to me, but it just, it ultimately can't retain any of that. And I think Egon is a good good indicator of the problem here because the reason that doesn't really pay off is because the the embrace at the end is, is, way longer than the movie has actually earned yes because there is something interesting about a story here that's more grounded in 
like a like a Jason Reitman family drama that considers like what the costs are to your loved ones to be a Ghostbuster. And that's hinted at a little bit here, but we get an embrace at the end that is more befitting of a movie that is about those family dynamics, not a movie that's all about running and gunning. So that's the where the, the nostalgia, the need for nostalgia kind of butts heads with like a serious attempt at telling a story okay. with real emotional payoffs, I think. Yeah. Can we get to the, the stingers? Sure. So the first stinger is just... Uh, Vankman and uh, Dana And Barrett. Sigourney Weaver, yeah. yeah. And because uh, it comes at a very clever point, too, because it says it's listing out who the, the characters are and, and uh, I'm sorry, the cast is. And then you're like, Sigourney Weaver, I don't remember... Was she a voice? And then it actually just cuts into the spo- into the, the stinger. Um, fun, but like what Luke, you're saying, definitely just like one of the two scenes that that the was like, I'm just going to shoot these two and uh, I'll have a good day. Um, thoughts on this one? It's fine. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it has nothing to do with anything. It's just like, hey, these characters, remember it's that just, scene? Exactly. Remember that scene that only one of them was involved with? We brought it back. I mean, it, it makes obvious text what was subtext already. Yeah, I only shocked the girls. Yeah, no shit. We knew. <laughs> but that's a Me Too era concession, right? It's him acknowledging that, yes, I, I abused my uh, position as a researcher to hit on girls, and that's inappropriate, and I, I am very regretful of that. That's mm-hmm. the entire purpose of that scene. Please throw electricity through my veins to right. make, up for my, make my amends. Yeah, and then the, the second stinger is a little bit more detailed uh, and leaves things more open, but it's essentially just... Uh, Janine going over to Winston and saying, hey, by the way, you've been very successful. What do you want to keep doing? He's like, I want to build, rebuild the Ghostbusters, essentially. He he buys the old place. He's got Ecto-1. And um, he keeps Ray's occult bookstore open, apparently. He's the one that pays for it. <laughs> right. He He's like the benefactor behind everybody's uh, accomplishments uh, so uh, so far in life. And he doesn't want anybody to know. But I I just thought to myself for this particular thing, I was like, I like it, but I also don't like it because it. I don't just the way that I left this movie. I don't know if I'd want to see more of this uh, because if it's just going to play off of more things that you could feel nostalgic about, that's a no go for me. Well, I mean, ideally, a sequel would be able to separate itself because it's established Hopefully. its cast and it's done. Those, it's not like people were like, "Oh, I can't wait to see Vigo again." Like, I mean, there. I don't think there's anything hilarious else to if do. that's what they did again. Uh, yeah, it would be, but I. I mean, I, like that's the one saving grace is well at least if a sequel happened they would they could they could stretch beyond this and do something more creative not mm-hmm. unlike for example last jedi going up in force Awakens. uh but with this movie uh, i it'll for, be a new rowan <laughs> <laughs> for 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 um for winston i enjoy just because well, for one thing i like ernie hudson yeah but also i like that because he's been you know somewhat lesser not somewhat he's been lesser acknowledged as far as these characters go because he's not bill murray or dan Aykroyd or or uh, harold ramis as far as like comedy legends from the 80s uh, I, I like that it gave him so much respect as far as yeah those jerk offs did whatever he made like a career out of everything and became super successful and was able to like buy everything and do all everything he wants to be you know be up and up new york high rise doing his thing like well, he always I, was all about the paycheck too he was. So. But he, he had his he, eyes on the money, and he spun that into gold apparently, and he kept a warm heart. Like I just I like that it like it 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 made him into a you know a genuine character. I like mm-hmm. as but as as disconnected as that is from you know the entire main story. I like that they like wanted to go out of their way to make Winston like a, you know a successful black man in the Ghostbusters universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think 
as much as I don't really want sequels to this movie, I think uh, I think I've made that clear. Maybe question mark. Um, I, I do think Winston is the correct Ghostbusters for this movie to end on. As I mean, I do miss the kind of droll sarcasm of Bill Murray, but if you're doing a movie that's about a new generation and new beginnings and things like that, then having who is clearly the most peripheral Ghostbuster mm-hmm. come in and just kind of t- not exactly take the mantle, but be the one who ushers you into the sort of new generation of ghost busting, I think is, is the right way to go given the, the sort of logic of the movie. That being said, I was really confused by that last moment because in an early scene, earlier scene, Ray explicitly says the old firehouse has become a Starbucks. Yeah. I heard that too. He bought it and converted it back to a firehouse guy. Hey, yeah. He, he, he was like, I'm going to buy this. You guys make it decrepit again. And then I'm going to come back. <laughs> That's uh, uh it's a choice. Sounds a lot of work. Maybe so the Starbucks top floor just is a left Starbucks. that ghost in the grid the entire time. That's blinking. Right. <laughs> William Atherton is spinning in his mushroom, his, his marshmallow covered grave. <laughs> <laughs> That's Bring the that next back. thing. CGI William Atherton in the next one. Right. Exactly. Ooh. He's alive. Right? <laughs> he's. He, I, yeah. He's, he's still alive. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> DGI him anyway. De- de-age him, right? <laughs> Given the old Marvel de-aging treatments. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have him sing Brandy. Uh, any other thoughts on Ghostbusters Afterlife? We've talked about this movie for quite a while. Uh, I had a, I had a fun jump scare. That's like one of the things I'll say. Um, it's it kind of like the dark. You're expecting it, but it's, it's still fun no less, none, nonetheless. The dog? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. <laughs> I... I I mean, we haven't talked about the whole Gozer. Pl- I mean, there's just there's nothing to talk about. It's there's nothing like, to talk about hey, because it's the same fucking plot. story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's there's. I mean, it's just be criticizing the movie more, but it's the kind of thing where there's not real much. There's not much mystery here because it's like I know where all this is going. So I was I was also annoyed feeling ahead of the game for most of the movie because like I know what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got to cross the streams, like all that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, I didn't know. I didn't know until the movie was playing in front of me that Finn Wolfhard is not the protagonist i mean he's one of the protagonists but it's clearly the girl's show right sure tv yeah. show yeah. and I, I, so mm. no it just kind of bummed me out because the original films were so rife with not at all subtle running jokes about slime and bodily fluids and it just to me it felt like a wasted opportunity not to reframe those jokes around a teenage boy who's got this crush on a girl and is learning about his body all that stuff mm. felt like that would be the the way to insert that content but well, mike that's clearly why you need a sequel to this movie <laughs> that oh the brother's point of view ghostbusters afterlife 2 bustin makes me feel good mm. <laughs> well it really isn't a comedy this was the no, first it's not. ghostbusters movie not to be and that's that is kind of weird and i've seen the argument online well you know can't a franchise shift gears because fast and furious stopped being about street racing blah 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 yeah, it can, but it's such a huge, a, such a huge change up. But right? you it know what? It never super... stops being about family. Family. <laughs> exactly. It's still weird that there's like one comedy guy in the whole thing to do comedy stuff, and then the rest are not. Mm-hmm. I also like uh, this. Is still like nitpicks now, but we can move on. Um, but when she's like, "Why didn't you ever tell me my grandfather was a Ghostbuster?" First of all, you just learned who Ghostbusters were like two hours ago. Um, and second of all, it's like you never would have even you know cared. So hilarious, great writing, guys. Yeah, I uh, 
I, I agree with these points. And yes, as far as not being like an out and out comedy versus being this kind of coming of age and one story that, that also annoyed my lovely girlfriend. We saw and she was like, I thought it was gonna be funnier. And she was not, not happy with the idea that it was like, like, she liked the 2016 was like, that movie was funny. And she's like, this movie isn't funny. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right, so when should people go and see Ghostbusters Afterlife? It's currently playing exclusively in theaters, as the Sony trailer man likes to make sure we all know. Mike, when should people see this movie? They shouldn't. They should skip it. Because I'm actively rooting for this movie to fail. (laughs) Luke, how about you? Uh, It really depends on what sort of level of fandom this this hits for you. If, If you have any interest in this movie, see it now. Uh, If not, don't worry about it. Abe? Yeah, on a roll scale, I think this would kind of be a an HBO streaming type situation. Um, and then our new scale, if it's safe, uh, this would be one of those. Or I'm sorry, in our new scale, it'd be like um uh, like a a dollar ninety nine rental. I I agree. I I'm not a big fan of this. I can see the like appeal in some degree. So it's like yeah, you can wait for it to stream and then be like, oh yeah, that's that Ghostbusters movie I didn't see. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, all right, so we've talked a lot about Ghostbusters Afterlife. Let's move on now to uh, Abe. What um, what time is it? Oh, I think it's time to play some games here. That is, of course, the improv theme for games, and I have a couple games for you guys this week. The first one is called Ghosts with the Most. Oh, I am going to read you taglines for movies containing ghosts, and you have to identify what the movie is. If you think you know the answer, say your name and then the answer. Make sense? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Here's the first one. He's guaranteed to put some life in your afterlife. Luke. Luke. Is it Beetlejuice? It is Beetlejuice. Mm, You're on the like board. It. Here's the next one. Over 3,000 islands of paradise. For some, it's a blessing. For others, it's a curse. 3,000. Luke. Luke. Pirates of the Caribbean. I need a full answer. The Curse of the Black Pearl. That is correct. Oh, good one, good one. Luke's on a roll. Here's the next one. Terror has multiplied. <laughs> Abe. Abe. Gremlins? Which which character is the ghost in Gremlins? Remind me. Uh, it's Mogwai. <laughs> the Mogwai. <laughs> yeah, that's incorrect. Damn it! <laughs> Mike? Mike? Is it 13 ghosts? It is 13 ah. ghosts. Yes, you're correct. Gremlins is a better answer. <laughs> because of all the ghosts. <laughs> the next one. A love that will last forever. Abe. Mike. Abe. Ghost. It is ghost. You're, you made it on the board. Swayze. <laughs> okay. Here's the next one. Here's, this is the last one for this game. Okay. The afterlife of the party. Hmm. I have others in case this one didn't immediately give it away. The afterlife of the party. We've already had Beetlejuice. I'm going to read you one of the other ones. Okay. Home is where the haunt is. (laughs) Abe? Abe? Casper? It is Casper. (laughs) It's Devin Sawa. (laughs) The last one was get an afterlife. I mean, yeah, I remember the blue cheese uh, promo that they did with, with Pizza Hut. Well, this first game was a tie between Luke and Abe. Woo! So good job, guys. Ooh. Mike, you, you did get on the board, but here comes the next game. The one that matters? The one that re- this <laughs> one, the points really matter. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> All right. This one, this game is called Who You Gonna Call? Ooh. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you quotes from famous movie phone call conversations. <laughs> and you have to guess what movie I am referring to. Oh, okay, so the characters were both on the phone at this time. Okay. Well, I'm going to read you like one side of a phone conversation. Oh, all right. Okay, Mike, Mike, is it taken? I love to get free guess. I'm gonna. I don't because you know what? It takes me time to make these questions, and then you try to spoil one, and then guess what? You just wasted time of my <laughs> life. So here we go. Here's the first one. I'm in a glass case of emotion. Abe. Abe. What are we naming? The character or the movie? The movie. Uh, Anchorman: The Legend of Ron Burgundy. Thank you for the full answer. That is yeah. correct. Here's the next one. Some of these are longer than others. <laughs> Two one three five 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 four six seven nine. That's it. I just want to leave my number. I didn't want you to think I was weird or desperate, or we should just hang out and see where it goes because it's nice and you know no expectation. Mike, Mike? Uh, swingers. That is swingers. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I need you to do more of like a you know that that accent. These readings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got to be into it. <laughs> These John Favreau readings. <laughs> Here's the next one. What's your favorite scary movie? Mike. I heard Mike first. Scream. It is Scream. Be hilarious if it wasn't. Okay. Here's the next one. I'm going to read this one. And... There we go. Mm-hmm. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. Luke. Luke? Taken. If you're looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have any money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. It is Taken. You are correct. Oh, yeah, I was keep taken going. Too. Yeah. No, keep going. Yeah. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. I don't have the rest of it. I, I knew you would Aww. jump in by the time <laughs> I got to this point. <laughs> Mike, please, please be the uh, the bad guy and say his line. Good luck. That's Thank pretty you. good. <laughs> pretty good. Menacing. Menacing. Right, here's the next one. I want to make sure you're ready, brother. Here it is. Show me the money. <laughs> Luke. Uh, Abe. Uh, Jerry Maguire. It's Jerry Maguire. That's correct. Yeah. This is a close game, guys. Oh, hope you have a tiebreaker. I feel like I have just enough questions, so okay. I won't need it, but um, yeah. I will definitely look at another quote if I need to. <laughs> okay, here's the next one. I don't want to leave anything out here. I guess I've killed maybe 20 people, maybe 40. Mike. Mike. Damn it, Mike. American, American Psycho. I have tapes of a lot of it. Uh, some of the girls have seen the tapes. I even, um, I ate some of their brains. Yes, I, I, I tried to cook I imagine a little. you doing the gulp there. Yeah, thanks for pausing. Tonight, yeah. I uh, I just had to kill a lot of people. Yeah, I'm just not sure I'm going to get away with it this time. <laughs> Very great scene as the helicopter is going by. You the know, helicopter is the best. <laughs> it is great, but I also love the preamble to that, which is like, "Feed me the cat." Feed me the cat, stray cat. <laughs> The he messes it up to the ATM machine. My 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 favorite is him going through. He's he's walking past the desk where he goes through a rotary door. He sees someone, and he comes back through the rotary door and shoots the guy. Then he walks back. Out of the- <laughs> right. And then he like, does he go outside to shoot the cop car? And then he looks at the gun. He's like, how did that happen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's the next one. Have you checked the children? Ooh, Luke. Luke. When a stranger calls. It is when a stranger ah, good calls. Job. <laughs> All right, here's the next one. Okay. I'm sorry too, Dimitri. I'm very sorry. Luke. All right, you're sorry, Luke. Dr. Strangelove. Or you're how sorry. I to stop worrying and love the bomb. <laughs> you're sorry than I am, but I am sorry as well. I, I am sorry as you are. Dimitri, don't say that you're more sorry than I am because <laughs> I'm capable of being just as sorry as you are. 
So we're both sorry. All right. All right. Yes, Luke. Did you do a two line readings there? No. (laughs) Peter Sellers just reacted to nothing on the phone. (laughs) It's such a, it's long. It's so much longer than that. (laughs) Okay. Here is um, the last one. I'm looking at the scores here. Oh shit! It's it's all tied up. Oh, three way <laughs> oh. tie. Here we go. All right. As okay. host, I have to let one of the guests get it. Here's the next one. Give me back my son, Mike. Luke. I heard Mike. Ransom. Please get it wrong, <laughs> Mike. You are correct, and that means you are the winner. Of who you guys? Woo! Am Woo! I a god? <laughs> well, everybody, clear your minds. Say yes. Say yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good job, Good Mike. Job. Good job, guys, in general. Yeah. I, I had fun making these games, and I'm glad that you all responded appropriately. I, I uh, appreciate you going into character mode uh, when doing the, <laughs> the lines. Quotes are fun. I should do more quote games. Indeed. I do and... a lot of tagline games. The quote games are fun to do. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but no, good effort from all you guys. All right, but it was, it was a, I mean, it was tied up right at the end there, so there you go. Good job. Good effort. Good effort, right. by everybody. Let's, uh, yeah, let's move on now. Let's get to some out now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where we go to the various questions answered on our Facebook page, Facebook, Facebook.com slash out now podcast. We asked a number of questions for the listeners to give us answers to. Then we actually got some questions this whoop week whoop. that we could provide some answers to. So, Mike and Luke, feel free to jump in with any answers you might have for these, but let's get this started. First question is What are some great movie vehicles modified for a business? Chris Cleveland has Mad Max's Pursuit Special and most of 007's Aston Martins and Lotus. Uh, Todd Libanel uh, has Dumb and Dumber's Dog Car. Uh, any uh, f- uh, favorite um, uh, vehicles modified? I was going to immediately for... say the uh, Dumb and Dumber. But... Yeah. Luke, what did you say? I'm sorry. I'm trying to think of ones modified for a business. Does the A-Team van count? I guess there was an A-Team movie, but I don't remember it being that modified. They were service, right? Yeah, I think that would count. If you could find them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, does, a... ev- does every Fast and Furious movie count? I mean, I'm, I'm, yes. until Dom starts, you know, Dom for higher business. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're saying. And sure. I mean, they're modified cars. Yeah. yeah. Um, not a movie, but, uh, you know, Ace and Gary's car. <laughs> 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 What's everybody looking at? <laughs> All right. Next one. If you could have a memorable movie prop, what would it be? Chris writes the 60s Batmobile. Mm. Mark Pace's friend of the show has a Tron light cycle. Ooh. Todd Lehman, out front of the show, has the Golden Idol from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeek. And Jason has the Ecto-1. If there's a movie well, prop I mean, you could own, what would it be? That ranges quite a bit in size, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, he mentioned uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, I'd want that giant boulder in, in the house. <laughs> Just, you know. Just, is it like a yoga ball? Yeah, you open the door, and people are like, where am I going to sit? You know. <laughs> I like how you're you have this idol, but in your mind, like the your house is still the same. So you just have to fit it in. You still have to have it inside. It's like in that Simpsons episode where Mr. Burton gives him that giant thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly it. Well, they put it in the basement eventually. And yeah, how did they get to the door frame? It would be like you asking, like, I want that that giant penny that Batman has, but I'm still gonna have the same house. <laughs> let's, let's be real here. <laughs> yeah. I can't move out of my house, but I can accept things. Yes. How about you guys? I have a couple of prop replicas, but I think for an actual prop, I would take Skeletor's Havoc staff, either the gold godly one or the original black one from Masters of the Universe. 
I would pick the Maltese Falcon. Ooh. Or uh, the Alrin from Neverending Story. Yes, yeah. Huh. Do what you wish. <laughs> like don't, I forget, don't forget to rename the child. Moon Child. Yeah. Great name. Yeah. Nonsense I, name. I'd probably just have like a lightsaber. Like a, like I, yeah. I can't think of like a... Don't, uh, don't look at it uh, while you're trying to turn it on. You know what? Actually, you know what I want? I want Radio Raheem's boombox. There you go. Yeah. There you know go. what I'm going to get you for Christmas? A bunch of D batteries. Thank you. <laughs> uh, that next question is, what's your favorite kids adventure movie? Ruben has The Goonies. Uh, Todd Libanow has The Goonies. But I also want to shout out the classic Our Gang films, many of which are like a mini adventure. And Jeff writes The Goonies. And Chris has The NeverEnding Story. Mike, what's your answer to this immediately? Monster Squad. Exactly, Monster Squad. Monster Squad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Paranorman. Goonies. Yeah, so, Paranorman. Okay. I don't know why nobody went for uh, Adventures of Babysitting. I guess it's a kid's adventure movie. I yeah. Mean. They've got to go, you know, find their it's parents like at that restaurant. Kids with a chaperone. <laughs> <laughs> Young Sherlock Holmes. Young Sherlock Holmes. Young Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. All right. Uh, what are your favorite films set in a small ta- Smallville type of town? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ty Liebenau has Fargo, Groundhog Day, Puxatani, and Tremors, Perfection. Uh, Chris writes Hot Fuzz and Rambo. Mm-hmm. Which were like what small town? Oh, I guess like the, the so know. first first blood. Yeah, yeah first it, you know <laughs> he goes back to you know Brian Dennehy's small town. Well, because like I'm thinking Rambo. I said like the fourth one is like Cambodia. Like okay. <laughs> no, okay. so first well, not racist Rambo. First blood. The fifth one is a small town also. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was set in a small town, but Thor. You know, back lot of of where yeah, they, they saved shot. that that suburb of Albuquerque. <laughs> they saved that. They saved it. Yeah, it's got one main street. You know, it looks exactly like Ghostbusters Afterlife. It has Adrian. It has Academy Award nominee Adriana Barraza uh, in like two minutes of the movie. <laughs> Was the question actually Smallville type town? A Smallville type, just like a small town. Small town. Okay. Yeah. If we're gonna say Smallville type, I'm gonna say Man of Steel. <laughs> yes. It's literally Smallville. Yeah, we still we still don't know how it's doing after it ruined its main sources of economics, the corn silo and the Denny's. Mm-hmm. The IHOP. It was an IHOP. IHOP, sorry. <laughs> I'm sure Bruce Wayne bought them. He probably, he yeah, probably yeah. bought the town. You know what's ridiculous? He's like, he could have just bought the loan, but he's like, no, I just bought the bank, which is even more money. So, all right. Uh, the next question is, what are some of your favorite iconic ghost or spirit type characters? Todd Liebenau has Beetlejuice. Uh, Chris has Freddy Krueger, and Chris has the Flying Dutchman. Not to be confused with The Simpsons is the Frying Dutchman. Yeah, this is SpongeBob SquarePants's Flying Dutchman. <laughs> uh, favorite ghost or spirit type characters from films? Mm-hmm. I mean, I had the movie, so I have to say, <laughs> I have to say Casper, right? I'm obligated to say Casper. Yeah, that's what happens. You're obligated to say Casper, not Gremlins, of course. The yeah. other ghost movie you're familiar with. <laughs> you know what a weird question is that he asked her at the end? Can I keep you? What a weird question. <laughs> Any uh, kind of ghost spirit types that you guys like? My real answer would probably be um, that spirit monster in uh, Spirited Away, the one that like wants to have friends but like eats everybody. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Well, we've said Freddy. I'm a fan. I'm a fan specifically of zombie Jason Voorhees, and not the version that's an actual living human being. So, mm-hmm. zombie Jason is up there. So in part part six, part six through 
most of the rest through yeah, yeah through hell i guess <laughs> yeah i'm i'm not a harry potter head but i feel like people have said to me before that moaning myrtle kind of matches my temperament and sensibilities so <laughs> kind of sarcastic sometimes that. sardonic yeah yeah I'll keep that in mind as I slowly revisit these movies that I really have not watched (laughs) at all. I've seen them all once. So I'm going to be a book snob. Aaron, the book version of her is better. She's good in the movies, but you really get a sense of like her ridiculousness in the books. I'm trying to think of more, um, Mm -hmm. more than a personality because I just like name like ghosts and things. Um, Uh, The friend in American Werewolf uh... in London. Bruce Willis in the Sixth Sense, exactly. Sorry, sorry for the spoiler, everybody. He's just trying to save everybody. But you know, yeah, the the buddy in American War for Linda, he's got a lot of character. Uh, I guess he's a ghost, right? Yeah, because he's like, he's definitely a ghost. He's a ghost. Yeah, he just decomposes. Just showing up, eating sandwiches, making fun of (laughs) uh, Daniel Robitaille uh, from Camp Candy. Daniel Robitaille. Oh, nice. He can speak to you through your mind. Yeah. Uh, Ray Liotta in that movie. Uh, Field of Dreams. <laughs> I was like, uh, which one? <laughs> Good fellas. <clears throat> what about just uh, everybody, all the hospitality at the, the, the all the fine folks at the, uh, the Overlook Hotel? Yeah. Oh yeah, there you go. Great party, especially Lloyd. He seemed to know. What he Serve was doing. me drinks, Lloyd. Yeah. Yeah, little Lloyd. How about aside from Beetlejuice, uh, Sylvia Sydney in the Ghostlands of Beetlejuice? Is that is that the uh, the woman who tells everybody as her caseworker? Okay, Juno. Yeah. As Juno, she's great. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> I'm not your coach. <laughs> so I don't think we survived that. <laughs> <What's your first laughs> Those football players are hilarious. Uh, all right, last question we have here: Who is your favorite cinematic ghost or demon hunter? Mm, that's a we good question. Yeah, we didn't have any answers. Yeah, and then there's a lot of them too. Because I talked about one recently, which was Constantine. And then we talked about Shia LaBeouf for a little bit. So it wasn't Zach Galligan from Gremlins? Mm-mm. <laughs> um, but, I mean, that's a good answer, too. Because you've got to go hunt them all down. <laughs> they're not demons. They're just animals. Yeah, but they're so violent. They kill that They kill that science teacher. Any favorite ghosts or demon hunters, guys? Uh, Vampire Hunter D. There you go. Hmm. Frank Bannister from The Frighteners. Mm, that's a great answer. Blade. Does Hellboy count? Yeah, he's Hell, that's he's gotta close the portal. His whole thing is demon yeah. hunting. That's his, that's his deal. Sure. Yeah, not Abe though. No, no. <laughs> me demon hunting. Come on, ghost hunting maybe demons. I don't know. Luke, did you have one? Um, does Blade count? There's vampires, but I mean, if Abe said vampire hunter D, then <laughs> I'm sure Blade fits in the category as well. I guess the Laurie Strode kind of counts. That's that's true. The one now because she does hunt demons because evil dies tonight. Yeah. Hashtag evil. <laughs> evil dies tonight. <laughs> evil dies tonight. Is that is that on one of their posters? Evil make dies my tonight. coffee right. That's what they say after yeah. when they want to get some drinks. Right. All right. Now we got some questions that we yes. can go into. Let's go into some questions that the our listeners asked to us. Uh, for everybody on the panel here today, Chris asks: Is there any actor you feel has had too much screen time recently? For me, it's definitely Ryan Reynolds. Which led to an extended conversation about how much he and another commenter uh, did not did not like Red Notice, and to that I say correct. Yes, I would say correct as well. Uh, somebody who's had a lot of screen time recently. Mm, I mean, yeah, I mean, we talked about him in, in the trailer. Tom Holland's been getting a lot of 
a lot of play, which is fine because he's in a giant, you know, cinematic universe. But yeah, he, he's on the screen almost all the time. I feel like I'm one or two movies away from having this opinion about Chalamet. I'm almost, I'm pretty much already there, but less because of him than because I really don't like the movies that he chooses. Also, like he's going the way of like kooky young Johnny Depp, um, not just because of Willy Wonka, but I mean, because that could be a, a Gene Wilder thing as well. But I mean, if they were to do a Edward Scissorhands origin story tomorrow, he would be the I'm obvious so scared that you choice, talk, right? Yeah, I'm so scared that you talked that into the universe because now it might actually happen. Yeah. How does this happen? He's got yeah. hands for scissors too. I like Chalamet. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I like Edward <laughs> Forkhams, his cousin. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Dwayne Johnson. Like, I like The Rock, but there's just been so much of him. Um, yeah. Plus, his roles are not interesting. His, he doesn't. He doesn't. Good point. Have, he doesn't have that thing that Schwarzenegger and Tom Cruise had, where they want to work with good directors. He's his idea of a director he wants to work with every time is Jean Calais Sarah on everything, or um, Ross and Mar- Marshall Thurber, who is, yeah. at least at least Jean Calais Sarah has style. I I don't know what Thurber's thing is, but it's not making great movies. That's for sure. Yeah, he needs a director to push himself, and he needs to seek them out because he's at the, he's in a position where he can, and that's what made Schwarzenegger the icon that he is. It wasn't just being a big muscular dude. He's sought out people who knew how to use him and i i I would say the one that's doing it better although not necessarily because of the directory seeking but honestly john cena i think cena is there he's finding ways for his personality his size to be used in ways that are creative and do feel challenging and Uh, he is and he is i think more limited as an actor than i i agree johnson but yes you're right he is picking more diverse options and Peacemaker, I'm more interested in than just about anything. Peacemaker, yeah, up. Peacemaker's like turn in the third act, like has more going for it than a lot of uh, Dwayne Johnson movies. And we're so. gonna get eight episodes exploring that even further. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Uh, how about you, Mike? Any, any or did you? I guess you you agreed with the Chalamet thing. That's the only thing that comes to mind. Okay. All right. Next question we have here, very simple. Jason asks, cats or guinea pigs? Can I say neither? <laughs> yes, you can say neither. Okay. I mean, if forced to, I'd say guinea pigs. I guess they're in a cage, right? Wait, is this versus? Can we do versus? I yes, guess you can. Now, now we have to. Yeah. <laughs> G-Force versus the cats from Cats and Dogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I went to the cats from Cats. Yes. Yeah, so Jason, look- Jason Derulo versus uh, Zach Galifianakis. G-force. Or, or Sam Rock. I think Zach Adox was, was a human in that movie. So Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell versus Jason Derulo. There you go. And we know Sam Rockwell can dance, so it's not that easy. Ooh, tough one. Mike, did you said you, you introduced this versus concept. Did you have an answer to it? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't really care how it turns out as long as I can just watch and eat popcorn. Okay, so AV, AVP style. Whoever wins, we lose. We lose. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Pred Alien, one of my favorite uh, commentaries <laughs> that we've done. <laughs> uh, then the last question we have here is, uh, would you ever mix coffee and lemonade? We're really getting to the bottom of some deep mysteries. On this yeah. Thing, so. I personally would try it once, but technically no. I mean, I, I don't like coffee and I really like lemonade. So no is my answer to this question. <laughs> Well, if you don't like, if you really don't like one thing, but you love the other thing, wouldn't it be a happy medium? 
you can ask that to Officer Reese's, but for now, I'm going to stick with my no. I, why would I want a medium when I can take a thing that I always that I exclusively like and not mix it with a thing I do not like? Mm. Yeah. What is that in reference to? Coffee Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing at all. Jason just felt like asking us a question, but I love it. I'll answer it. I wouldn't what, what do is... them as the exclusive ingredients. It would have to be more. There would have to be more than just those two components. Like some creamer or like orange juice or something? Yeah. I mean, when I worked at a movie theater, I would mix coffee, Diet Coke, and cherry Coke. And that was my wake-up juice. And I Ta- Wake-up juice? Wake up juice. Back to Teacher 3? Luke Thompson's wake-up juice yeah, coming to yeah. stores near you. <laughs> so that and it, it actually makes a nice... When you mix coffee and soda, it makes a nice kind of foamy head that soda alone doesn't get you. Hmm. Um, I would... I would throw some lemonade in that just for the hell of it. But there, there we go. Coffee okay. and lemonade by themselves, like an Arnold Palmer, not so much. Mm-hmm. I was recently introduced to. Um, have you ever put some yellow mustard on a watermelon slice? No, I have not. That sounds no. terrifying. You know, it's it's not that bad. Huh. I yeah, have had a savory watermelon salad with soy sauce that was Ooh. quite nice. Hmm. Next time I'm at your uh, company picnic, uh, Mike, I will uh, bring some watermelon and mustard. We'll, we'll try it out together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just as long as it doesn't squirt out that like weird yellow water before the. Yeah, we got to shake it up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, this has been a fascinating discussion. <laughs> Illuminating. <laughs> I'm not against it, uh, but unfortunately, that well, that that's the end of feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. And that is going to bring us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, you can find more of my work at my personal blog, thecodices.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also writing for League of Entertainment for my movie reviews, as well as Supplies of Blue for Blu-ray and Criterion reviews. And I'm on Variety occasionally, and I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? Uh, you can find me over on uh, Instagram, abe.mua, and twitter.com slash walrusmoose, hashtag ecto1. Uh, Mike, Bill, anything you want to plug? Nothing to plug, but uh, happy Thanksgiving, fellas. Oh, thank you, thank Mike. You. Happy, happy Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving to you as well. Yeah. Uh, Luke Thompson, anything? What would you like to plug today? Well, let's see. I write at superherohype.com, synagogues.com, which is C I N E G O D S, uh, filmsgonewild.com. Uh, I'm L Y T Rules, L Y T R U L E S, on most forms of social media. And uh, yeah, my Instagram is mostly pictures of my toys and cats. But, uh, <laughs> and happy Thanksgiving. Oh, thanks, Luke. Happy Thanksgiving to you too. You can find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron Abe on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podomatic, and HHWLOD. Feel free to email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Facebook.com slash outnowpodcast or tweet us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And of course, our Instagram page, instagram.com slash outnow underscore podcast as well. Uh, Luke, Mike, thank you both very much for joining us this evening. Thank you both. Thank you guys. Hey, man. Always a pleasure. Glad to have you guys both here. Glad to hear some thoughts on this iteration of Ghostbusters. We'll do it again. (laughs) See you at the next one. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, Next week, uh, we do have House of Gucci coming up, the second of two Tony uh, Ridley Scott films that have arrived this year, as well as Disney's Encanto, among other uh, upcoming releases. So be prepared for plenty of uh, content coming your way. But until next time, so long and goodbye. Something strange in your neighborhood. Who you gonna call? Ghostbusters! If there's something weird and it don't look good, who you gonna call? Ghostbusters! I ain't afraid of no ghosts. 
afraid of no ghosts. Let's I think the recording's going. Well, I don't know if you guys know, but I think the recording's going. <laughs> I'm sure that they get a giant message that says, <clears throat> that says this guy's recording. Is that, <laughs> you get, was that you mother? Click okay. That, that yes, was, that was, yeah, that, yes, was yeah. that was mother. Yeah. Yeah. Self-destruct but, sequence has been initiated. Yeah. <laughs> but you never, you'll never know that that mother's actually played by Daniel Day Lewis. That's how good he is. He's so good. Yeah, he's so good. Change his voice for this. I think it's all just makeup, though. Really, it's the makeup that makes him. Look uh, so ma- the makeup, makeup is ninety percent. They, they really gave him that veiny makeup in uh, "There Will Be Blood." The makeup really changes your voice. That's a little known fact. Yeah, it's true. yeah, <laughs> it does. That's um, <laughs> that's uh, that's how Glenn Close did it in Hook. <laughs> Not the boot box. <laughs> all right, that's enough of that. <laughs> let's, okay. um, let's do this. Okay. <clears throat>